0: thank you so much for coming down here and doing this uh it's an honor and uh, i'm very grateful for you guys spending the time and we timed it perfectly with your birthday and we had a uh quite an amazing experience last night on the beach yeah so what what was it we were seeing last night on the beach that's the first time i've ever seen anything like that um it's also the first time I've ever stared at the sky for that long, I think. <laughs> um, there was a lot of air traffic. We could see a lot of planes flying around. We could tell what they were. There was obviously a, uh, a very dense highway of airplanes landing in Tampa that were coming off the beach. But um, there were some things that we saw that were definitely not airplanes uh, that were moving in weird directions with the lights bright getting very bright and then going very dim to where we couldn't see them anymore. What were those orbs?
1: Well, they were the orbs and, <laughs> and the question of what are they is uh is an ongoing study. Mm-hmm. That's uh research that we're all trying to figure out. It would have been much closer, but I think all the traffic and the population from the beach mm-hmm. kind of makes it more shy.
0: Yeah. So To sort of give you an introduction, Chris, Uh, out of all the people that I've talked to involved in this phenomenon, I have a lot of people on the podcast before uh, who have spoken about it and studied it for years, and it seems to be the consensus that you are one of the most, if not the most credible person that has ever experienced this phenomenon. Uh, As I told you earlier, my friend Andy Bustamante, who was here a couple weeks ago, was telling me that through all of his experience filming that show that he was doing for History Channel, the Beyond Skinwalker show, the night that he spent with you witnessing those orbs in the sky, uh, out of everything else, he said that was the one thing that stuck out with to him the most. And it was the one thing that was truly unexplainable and real at the same time. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I wanna ask you a quick favor. Over the last few months, Almost 70% of the viewers of this podcast are not subscribed to the channel. The most important common denominator that allows me to keep creating these podcasts every single week is you hitting that subscribe button below the videos. I want to thank every single one of you who watches and supports these podcasts. I would not be able to do it without you. Please hit that subscribe button if you enjoy it. Now back to the show. There's more people in the government and aerospace scientists that seem to be really interested in you. Um, the CIA, DIA, FBI, NRO, and even the Vatican seem to be very interested in you. And they also seem to have their hands in this. Yep. Um, so can you go ahead and explain how this whole thing started for you? I mean, I know you've told a bunch of the stories before on on other podcasts, and your book goes through it very well, UFO of God. Wow. Incredible book.
1: Thank you. Incredible book. This um, nearly seventeen years ago, uh, we were uh, let's let's say over seventeen years ago. In um, two thousand and six, we had sold a company that um, was was going down the tubes because of the the uh, desert not the desert storm but the nine one one attack when it, when they blew up the World Trade Center. I got caught with too many houses for sale. I was a builder, contractor, and had been successful for nearly 20 years and building anywhere from 80 to 120 homes a year, my wife and I. Had a Remax Realty Company. She sold them, I built them. But when they, when they dist- destroyed the tower, it locked the Fort Bragg, which is where we live, uh, now called Fort Liberty, I think but it'll always be bragged to me. So the the soldiers quit buying homes. Most everybody did. It just threw the housing market and And two, it was the start of the housing collapse. Uh, it further collapsed in 2008 completely. But, um, I was in a, in a bad way. I was dealing with Crohn's disease and had been for, uh, since I was a young guy in my twenties and, uh, at that point it started getting worse and worse and worse because stress makes it worse right and so I had to worse stress trying to hide the fact that I'm shelling out everything I ever owned money apartments was going out the window to try to keep this company at least to pay the interest on the notes so we sold the company in '05, and Um, I'd had a near-death experience in 04 from being over-medicated. It's in the book. It's a very tragic thing that happened. My doctor died from an overdose that he was on drugs himself, some kind of medication he was taking, and um, he put 113 people in the hospital, and I was one of them. So that was a severe setback. Going through that, along with what I was already dealing with, and that was one reason the company had to be sold. So we us fast forward to 2006. Um, along about October, I accepted a job. My dad arranged to go oversee a home, big house on, on the ocean at Holden Beach, North Carolina. Four-month-long job. It was over by Christmas, and um, we had to finish it up to to um, to get paid the last 10% after Christmas on the new year. So I sent the guys back down to the coast to do their job and bring a check back for the, the retainer, and they did. And this was January the 8th of 2007. They called me and said, we have uh, we finished the job and we got you a check and uh, we want to celebrate. Can you take us fishing in a day? I said, well, sure, I guess. My wife was out of town with her, or with the rest of the kids. It was just Chris Jr. and I. And so they came in, got their checks, brought mine, or my dad's actually, and they um, they they went to the bank and came back about 2 o'clock and said, let's go. And so I followed them to their house, picked them up at 2.30, and away we went to the river fishing. And this is how it all started you know from uh, uh, the reason i went through this is because it's important it's one of the most important things in the world for anybody to know about this phenomena of mm-hmm. uh, 17 years nearly of research that i've been doing it was uh it came because i was in the worst suffering way i was at the bottom ready to give up on life and i was crying out to whoever's up there you know help me why i'm 45 46 years old and i have to to get free lunches at school now for my children and just moving out of a million dollar home with a pool in the back my kids have lived you know with that standard for most of their life so it was a big thing and i was suffering bad from it crying out to the skies i'm i left these guys fishing i left them fishing about three o'clock i walked away and um I'm just, never did pull out a pole. Um, it was my son and three other guys were sitting on the bank of the Cape river, river a little small river about 70 yards wide. And I said, I'll see you later. And I walked away up about a quarter mile to the field to where we came across this cornfield. It turned off the paved road, drove right through the middle of this field on a little 2 road dirt road to to the back side, and to the tree line. And when you get to the trees, you go downhill 100 feet to the river. And when you, before you run into the river, you make a right and parallel the river another eighth of a mile to a cul-de-sac. So it's a quarter-mile walk out of that cul-de-sac up to the hill. When I got near the top of that hill, um, I noticed uh, what I thought was the sun setting. It's about 5 10 after 5, 5.15 in the evening in January so it gets dark, you know, about 5.30 the sun sets and I'm probably 50 feet from the top of that hill so I'm looking up at the gate. The gate is up at the top of the hill just but you can't see the field because it's elevated, right? And the higher I got up the, the, the wider my field of vision became. So I'm looking down a a a road that has trees straight up on either side of me, really close. So I had a narrow field of vision. So the the closer I got to the top, I saw what I thought was the setting sun. And so I looked down to take a few more steps because I'm walking through mud and bushes and it's dark, almost dark where I'm at now. And um. Four or five more steps up that hill, and that's when the shock came. I began to see a second one. Instead of this, what I thought was the sun, the top edge of it, when I made a few more steps up, I could see the top edge of two suns. And I knew right then that this wasn't anything from that we had. And the reason I knew that instantly is because I'm commercial-rated pilot, and I have have studied it all my life and love it and I can name every airplane from World War II to today, pretty much. And so shock came real quick. I am um I'm afraid what I'm looking at. So I dropped to my knees using the heel to hide me from these objects. Thought I was hiding and so I sat there and I kind of crawled out of the road to the ditch. Because the weeds were real tall in the ditch, and so I'm buried myself in these weeds, and I start crawling, inching up the hill to where I could see, and I peek my head up, and they're still there. And I don't know how long I was there, standing, or sitting, uh, kneeling in these weeds on my knees, you know, using these uh, this waist-high of grass and and what we call reeds or cane, which is down near water, wet areas, right and um, I began to ponder everything I'm looking at, and my son, he's, and these guys behind me fishing, I thought maybe I should get back down to where they are. So I turned my body to point downhill, and I'm still hiding, I thought. You know, I've got this hill up above me. I could raise up and I could see them. I lowered down and I couldn't see him. So the minute i decided to run when i made that decision i was thinking about it but when i turned my body to to actually run i looked back one more time when i stood up to see if they were there and when i did that a third one same thing same size 40 foot 50 foot round blood red to orange balls of fire just what we saw on the water last night In fact, one of those looked like it come up out of the water that she found. Yeah. Right. And so, the next thing I remember is walking up to the fire, trotting up. They couldn't see me because they're standing around the fire and it's burnt down to a little campfire now and we had a big blazing fire there when I left. And they were just standing there and, and I could see them from the fire glowing on them. I didn't have a flashlight so they didn't know I was coming until I got right up on them. And I said, hey, you won't believe what I just saw at the top of the hill. And they looked at me and said, where have you been? I said, what do you mean, where have I been? I was just up at the top of the hill just 20 minutes ago. And they said, no, you've been going all night. And so I couldn't ponder. I couldn't imagine what they were saying. It just did not connect with me. I argued the fact. No, I've been going 20 minutes. They said, no, we've been looking at you all night. And I realized Chris Jr. was missing. And so I kind of freaked out, uh, worried about him, because I knew the direction they pointed. He went in the back of the cul-de-sac along the bank of the Cape River, which is real uh, rugged and valleys and big trees. and um, It's just uh, a place you can get lost real easy. And he was in there looking for me. So I took off immediately and ran to the back of that cul-de-sac, shouting for him still not understanding that I've been gone but 20 minutes, right? I'm, to me, that's what had just passed. And when I found him, he was um, he was in shock. He was laying on his stomach and had backed up under the undergrowth in the back of that cul-de-sac. Wouldn't answer me until I almost stepped on him. I'm trying to get in the woods to, to look for him no flashlight, and what had happened with Chris Jr. was when about an hour after I was gone, he realized that I should have been back. By now, it's dark, so he started bugging the guys. We need to find my dad. Where is he at? So they got in the truck and drove looking for me, left one guy at the fire, and two guys in my truck drove up and down, across the field, out on the highway. They went everywhere looking for me. Chris Jr. went on foot into the cul-de-sac because I had actually walked in there for a little while before I went up to the field. And he had what he saw, what he said he saw, was um, he could see all the way down the road, the path from the back of that cul-de-sac to where it turned and went up the hill. So he had a good probably a quarter mile view of that road, and the trees grow over the road, so it's like a tunnel. You know, you mm-hmm. come through real thick stuff. And while he was looking at me, he saw a red ball of light, like an orb. He described two red balls of light, cross the road way up about a, you know, a little less than a quarter mile, and they went in on the riverside. So he ran back to the fire, which is toward the orbs, right? It's, had to run back towards them, and they were sitting on the bank. So the the road parallels the river, and they're part of the way ahead of him, on the right, right on the bank. So he runs up there and he tells them what he saw, and they were like, "Don't kid around, you know, you know, don't. What are you doing, Junior?" They took it as a joke, right? These grown men saying, "You're messing with us, Junior. Don't mess with us. So he runs back to the back of the cul-de-sac again, looking for me. And he sees these same two balls of light come out of the riverside now, back out in the road, and here they come to and towards him. And So he began to back, hide. He tried to hide. So he backs himself up under this shrub. So around the field, if you're familiar with uh, in our area and, and even here, the edges of any field is really thick undergrowth. you got all this thick stuff once you get in the forest, it opens up, right? So he's trying to hide under this thick stuff. And what he described when I was walking him back to the fire was that these two balls of light came all the way to him. The closer he got, the more he got afraid. Then he started hiding. And they got about 15, 20 feet from him. And there were two little beings about three feet tall that had red glowing eyes. So they looked like individual orbs when you saw them, but when they were closer, two, two little eyes about this big. And um, he couldn't shout. He couldn't scream. He was paralyzed the whole time. He was laying there, just afraid. And so I took him back to the fire, and the <laughs> funny thing was these guys were freaked out now. They were really freaked because what I was talking about I'd seen up at the top of the hill, and what Chris Jr. is talking about now, it got him even more distressed. Suddenly, one of the guys shouts, look, and we all look up to the to heavens, and it looked like eight or nine stars, or orbs, like you saw last night, these big, they were white, though; they were glowing huge and white, and they just went around in circles, and. Like they were chasing one another, and they'd go out, and they'd come back together. And then three of them landed in front of us, about 75 yards away, across the river. And that's when pandemonium set in. And we ran, left the poles in the water, coolers, everything they had, we just left it. Jumped in my truck and took off out of there. And when we got back to the top of the hill, where I was looking, you know, where I was hiding, well, those same three orbs are sitting there. Two of them are in the same spot. But the third one that appeared and came down is now on the road in front of us. It's about 150 yards away between us and the highway, and we couldn't drive forward. We didn't want to go back because we just left three on the riverbank. And so you can imagine the fear that was in, in my truck. My son, he was in bad shape. These three guys were freaked out bad. But the weird thing, Danny, was I wasn't afraid anymore. I'd lost all my fear somehow. Um, I was curious. I wanted to get out and walk up to it. But they won't have any part of that. And that was one weird thing I couldn't figure out is, is it took my fear away. I was afraid when I first went up and saw it and to run down the hill. But as it appeared again, I was mesmerized. I wasn't afraid, but they were terrified. There there was everything happening from crying to, this is the last time I see my family, please get me home. They started fighting who was gonna go home first. It's all in the book, but that's how it all started in 2007. So
0: after this experience, and you guys started driving the truck home, there. Was there anything else that happened after you got home? How far away did you live from the river?
1: How long of a drive was it? Okay. Um, That was only the beginning when we got to the field. Now we're sitting up in my truck, five of us, with this object sitting in the road halfway to the road and two up over the road. And suddenly we heard three gunshots. We don't know who was shooting. MUFON and everybody investigated that they went around the neighborhoods looking for witnesses and they found eight different witnesses Hal probably from nasa found and, and interviewed eight different people that saw it that night they were sitting on the porch when they flew over or whatever so um after the gunshots these this uh object in the road it just it, it's not sitting on the road it's hovering five feet off the road it's about 40 to 50 foot long. It looks like an egg or it looks like if you took a round ball or let's say a raindrop and you set it on the ground and it just kind of flattens out, kind of egg shape. It orbs around in the sky, but when it's sitting on the ground, it looked like a football. And it just pivots. It don't turn. It don't lean. It just pivots straight at us, and here it comes down the road to us. So it goes right over our truck, about 50 feet above the truck. I could have shot it with a slingshot through the sunroof of my truck when it went over. And it pivots again to the north and it blasts off like a gunshot at poof. I took took off, couldn't go fast enough for these guys. They were screaming, yelling, Halfway down that road to the to the first house we had to stop two and a half miles away. Halfway in there is this curve, this really sharp curve, dead man's curve. I grew up that curve. Everybody in our community knew about that curve. And uh, it was so sharp. If you try to go around it more than 35, the car just bound up. You could feel it. You know, it on the edge of losing control. And um, the crazy thing is, is in, 2000, in um, shoot, 1982, 81, I was married to a different lady that died, she died in that curve. And I found her. Of all the weird things, I, I wasn't home. I was at the coast, and I came home and drove up on her after she'd turned the car over and wreck, killed her right there. So this uh, orb, huge thing, was hovering right over where she got killed. And we had to drive up under it And I tried to get out, I wanted to get out and look at it. And they won't have no part of it, so we had to move on. But what it did, the reason I brought this up, is what it did, it spoke to me in a way that I understood. And and these images, it went right in my head, and I relived the whole thing that happened that night in 82. And it, it said, don't worry anymore. This is not your fault, because I had thought it was my fault. And I should have been there, but I wasn't. I was out of town hunting that day with my father. And so I'd carried that for all those years, this feeling of guilt. And it was removed that night right away. And so I had to put that in there, because it's really important to understand the phenomenon. You know, I don't like to talk about this, but if people are going to understand it, how it reacts, it reacts based on emotion, suffering. Thousands of people reach out to me about this and they'll all say the same thing. When they started seeing it, they lost a family member. They lost their husband, their wife, a child. Pretty severe suffering brings them and this is something everybody that studies this is aware of. So, um, we left there never stopped never stopped we were down to about 10 miles an hour i was trying to hit the brake. they were pounding on my seat go and so i hit the gas ended up having to go four miles further and take the furthest guy home first because they were fighting who got to go home first dropped him off came back and dropped the other two guys off and then on our the way home, we went the long way because we didn't want to go back under that same curve where that orb was set, and my son didn't want any part of it. So anyhow, we get to the house. Chris Jr. is running through the house, locking every door, turning every light on inside, outside, and he would, he would go in the bathroom even with no windows. He'd turn the light on and lock the door. He was that afraid. I was in my study trying to find anything on tv we just knew we were being invaded the whole world you know that's what we thought and i couldn't find anything it was just a normal night you know and it was the weirdest thing we couldn't compute what had just happened and nothing's going on on television and so when chris gets all his lights locked and doors locked and lights on the whole house he runs back to where i'm at and, and uh, Suddenly, the dogs start going crazy. My dad lived next door. He had 15 hound dogs in a kennel. He'd raised them all his life. He up upwards of 100 dogs at one time, 104. So he's always raised dogs, right? So I know their sounds. I know their different barks. And suddenly, this whole c- pen full of dogs is barking in a, in a fearful way, they were scared, and I knew it. The way they were sounding, anybody would have detected. They didn't know what they were seeing, but they were, they were all going, you know, loud mouths. Hound dogs really are very loud. Mm. So imagine 15 of them all at one time, just this terrible, fearful sound.
0: About a year ago, I started working with this company called Merrick Health, and I wanted to get a comprehensive breakdown of what was going on inside my body, from my vitamin levels to my lipid levels to my hormone levels, etc. Using the most elaborate and cutting-edge testing on the market, they were able to advise me on a new diet, sleep, training, and supplement protocol designed to maximize performance and support longevity. I tell all my friends about Merrick Health because you simply cannot get this level of knowledge or attention to detail from a general practitioner who sees up to 50 patients per day. Plus, insurance companies regularly deny progressive treatment options. Primary care physicians refuse to order comprehensive lab work. And standards of care lag years behind the leading research. Merrick Health represents a paradigm shift in how we approach medicine, empowering those who want the most out of their healthcare and wish to maximize their potential. Every client who orders Merrick's optimization package receives extensive lab work, over 84 carefully selected biomarkers to help provide detailed insights into your hormone profile, cardiovascular health, organ function, and metabolic status. Expedited onboarding for those interested in working with a Merrick Health medical provider for personalized treatment options, ranging from hormone optimization and cognitive enhancement to hair loss prevention and body recomposition, and all from the comfort of home. The Merrick optimization package includes the same elaborate panel I get myself. And with those test results, that's how the Merrick Health clinical team optimizes my personal protocol. If you want the same panel and medical oversight that I receive, go to merrickhealth.com forward slash Danny and use the code Danny for 10% off at checkout. It's linked below. Now back to the show.
1: And so we had this Chesapeake Bay retriever, 110 pound dog standing on the back doorsteps. She's just sitting there. And she was growling, and she was barking at the same time. So I walked up to the back door, and I could see her through the, through the door. And Chris Jr. has got me by the shirt. Please, Dad, don't go out there. Don't go out. I'm like, son, somebody's breaking into Dad's shop because his garage is next to the kennels, plain view of the kennels, so all the dogs could see the garage. And I had a lot of stuff in that garage. I still do. At my mom's house. And um, all our tools and welders and boats and fishing gear, we just, I just knew somebody was stealing something, right? And the dogs could see it. Mm. And so I talked Junior into walking quietly with me with no flashlight, using our Chesapeake to stay in front of us and keep us safe. I just wanted to walk over and see if I could see who's getting in that shop try to scare him away and when i opened that door rosie took off straight toward the kennel where the dogs were and she ran out about 40 yards and looked back and then took on off so chris and i snuck our way up to the dog kennel and when we got there the weird thing was all the dogs were looking behind the pen in the woods not toward the garage and they were all barking uh, every one of them it's a pretty long kennel you could put a whole lot of dogs in there and it was you know just imagine a 50 foot long kennel with dogs in each pen and they're all facing the back and rosie the chesapeake is pointing she's she's froze and she's looking into the woods same direction as the other dogs and chris and i are in there and i said this is really weird maybe it's a bear or something I snuck in here and dogs are usually afraid of a bear they'll make they'll sound different mm. and um so i said junior i'm gonna send rosie in to whoever's in there she'll run them out whatever it is deer or whatever i don't know but we made a plan we we're gonna send her in then we were gonna run back around to our property so it was two lots they were on my dad's property or on his lot right so we were going to go back to ours and see if she pushes something out across in front of us just to see what it was so i sent her in the woods she took off wide open barking. and so Junior and i ran hard as we could down this path back to the backyard and i had to make a left and go to the back of the property another 60 yards i guess run so i had to run fast stay in front of whatever's coming out of there. And what I didn't know was was Chris had me by the back of the shirt the whole time. He didn't want to turn me loose. When I made that left turn to go to the back, he pulled away from me. I thought he just turned it loose. I actually slipped a little bit. It was frost on the ground. And I didn't know it, but he had all he could stand. He ran back to the house, opened the back door, and went in and locked the door. I didn't know that. I thought he was still behind me running. So I ran all the way to the back, and I knew where there was a big oak tree back there I could run up to and stop myself. you had to do this quick. Because dogs, you know, usually something in front of a dog would be way ahead of them. So I knew I had minutes to, to see what was in there. Mm-hmm. So I run up to this stop, in a, to this tree in a full run, stop myself, and I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm panting, I'm panting, but I'm trying to be quiet, right, because I didn't want to scare whatever was coming toward me. I could hear the dog coming. It wasn't far. It's was probably 20 yards in the woods coming my direction. So the minute I hit that tree, I turned around to see if Junior was coming behind me, and Junior wasn't there. But what was there, um, from me to you away, probably four foot. I could have leaned over and touched it with my hand. A Good thing I didn't. Uh, Somebody from NASA told me it would have killed you if it did, could have, the energy from it. So um, there was a being standing there, just like Junior described, it was, that he saw on the river. It was three, three and a half feet tall. It looked like a child, um, not like a gray alien you would think about, people talk about. It, it was a little glowing color of the moon. Uh, soft glow, Uh, three-and-a-half-foot, four-year-old. Looked like a four-year-old child. Head and face was a little different. Definitely weren't human. Eyes were glowing red. They looked mechanical. When you look at them, they looked like the little markers on a transfer truck, the side markers. You see these little round lights along the side. They were about that size, inch and a half. It had this triangle on its chest glowing this thing was glowing but it had a dark section that won't glow it was in shape of a triangle and I knew I was in trouble the minute I saw it now this all happened so quick I ran against that tree and I stopped myself and I looked back and I'm like oh my god what do I do so I got closer to the tree I didn't want to get closer that way to turn around so I backed my back against the tree and I'm facing this thing and I said, I surrender. I, I mean you no harm. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not here to, I, I was just, I surrendered to it. I just knew I was dead. And I heard this voice say, you don't understand. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. About that time, Rosie comes out of the woods. She's still coming. She's still tracking whatever it is. And it just vanished right in front of me. Just disappeared. Uh, instead of telling Chris Jr. what had just happened, I walked back up at the house, and he's standing in the back door looking for me. And I was scared to tell him anymore because he was in shock, right? And um, that wasn't the end. I was a smoker back then. I had to have a cigarette. I just had to have one. I was just basically hyperventilating. I had to smoke. So I walked into my study, and I have a couch, was a sunroom, had windows all the way around, and my couch was backed up to these windows. So I put my knees on the couch, and I reach over the back. I raise, I start to raise the blind, and Junior's freaking out, don't open the blind, Daddy. Don't, don't. Please don't. And when I raised it up about halfway, I was going to open the window and smoke and blow it out the window, right? But he had all the lights on around the house. And there was this thing, this being, a tall one. I don't, um, I drew it. I painted it. But it's not, my wife thinks it's too scary. So she hid my painting away. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Did she really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a four foot tall painting. And she saw the same thing. Is it scary, Emily?
2: It was a conversation piece in our house back in the day for sure. She turned it around and hid it somewhere. I don't know where it is now.
1: <laughs> it's in her, in the pod. Somewhere, somewhere
2: in storage.
1: She won't let me bring it out. But anyhow, that's what I saw coming about 20 yards outside that window. And remember, all, this, all the floodlights were on, so I could see it perfectly. And How it, tall would you say it was? Seven foot. It freaked me out so bad that I shut the shutter down without telling Chris Jr. anything. I'm trying to protect him as a dad, right? So I pulled the blind down, grabbed him by the hand, ran out the front door, jumped in my truck, and we drove about five miles away to a big hayfield, sat in the very middle of the hayfield until daylight the next morning, afraid. That was the beginning and the end of January the 8th of '7.
2: And believe it or not, he did leave out details. It's, Quite, a, it's a big story, yeah. but they're all in the book.
1: Yeah.
0: So that seven-foot being, what would you, how did that thing look? Was there any details you could see? Was it, what, did it
1: look like it was a, a real biological thing you could touch? It was a tall, two-legged, two-armed humanoid figure that um, looked more tan looking than gray, but it's similar to these gray aliens that you hear people talk about.
2: You it, always said it had human eyes.
1: Yeah, it was huge. It had human eyes? Sort of, yeah. yeah. Bigger, but it, it looked more human looking. But or it or was alien though. I mean, no with a pupil and like an well, iris? Or was yeah. it just all one color? It wasn't all one color. It was one all, color? all one color. Oh, okay but the way it looked at me and uh, um, yeah, it was it was a scary thing. So I haven't seen those since, um, but it was there, it was on my property. And usually I've heard stories that they kind of run together, these taller guys and these small ones, but I don't know, I have no clue.
0: So I just, out of all the people that were there with you that night, other than your son, Has anyone else corroborated any of that?
1: Yeah, they do. They told their story. The guys that were there with you. Yeah, they went on the Discovery Channel and told the story, just like we did. And uh, they reported to MUFON. I have all their interviews from from MUFON. And uh, they all corroborated every bit of it. And what happened with them was the same thing with me. Uh, They had children my children's age. or older and or younger all three of them married with children and they were just good old country boys that worked for my dad as subcontractors with families and they all went to school with my kids the most of them either elementary or middle school or high school and so when the discovery channel made their show in 2008 they uh, made a circus out of us they made me look like a I was crazy and a liar, and they tried to discredit all of us. When they told us different, they were going they were going to uh, vindicate us. That's why we all agreed because we were catching so much slack from the community. It became worse because of that documentary. Uh, my children were at school, and they would get made fun of, and she'd come home crying from teachers and the kids in school, making fun of their what was going on, right? So that was, uh, that shut them up to never want to talk about it ever again. That's why you don't hear much from them.
0: So after after this happened, did you tell anybody else? Did you tell your
1: family immediately
0: or did you keep it to yourself?
1: Yeah, I told uh, everybody. I thought it was the most wonderful thing on planet Earth. You know, this, we're not alone. You know, we've always been told that that nothing exists. Even people say God doesn't exist. So it's all faith, you know, it's only us. And we were created by evolution, just time. You know, enough time, anything can create itself. Mm. That's what they say. So I just experienced something that, uh, what I didn't say was, the next day when we left the Hayfield and came home, I came home and was worried about my medication because I had to take medicine every day. And if I missed it, I would get worse. Couldn't miss one day. It just had to stay regular. And I didn't feel sick the next morning. And uh, I didn't take any medication. Just for the Crohn's? For the Crohn's. And I haven't had a symptom since then, period went away that night, and I was so sick that she can tell you, I was, uh, I was in the bathroom 20 times a day, 25 at the worst, when it was at the worst point. That's what Crohn's does to you. Very painful, you know, it's an intestinal disease. Right, right, right. right? So, yeah. so I told the world, you know, this is what happened. Uh, suddenly... I became um a laughing stock and I was playing with demons. You were playing with the devil himself and before long the churches were coming, uh, sprinkling holy water on my kids, on my house, on my property, on me. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. when you would go to church? Well, I wasn't going to church then because I was told if you you can't come if you ever talk about this again. So I'm like, I'm going to talk about it. And so I never went back.
0: And how did word get spread? Like, throughout, like Emily, you said you saw the people at school were like cracking jokes. How did, how did everyone find out about it? Was Christ-
2: well, it's a small community. And, you know, dad was born and raised. Our generations of our family are from that area. Mm-hmm. And so the people that are from there know each other very well. And dad and my mom also were prominent business people in town. So mm. everyone knew who we were anyway. And so when one person found out about this, oh, Chris Bledsoe is crazy, the whole community finds out. And then you go to the grocery store and people, you know, recognize you and know things and people at school. And then the documentary came out a year later and it was impossible to <laughs> keep it hidden from everybody.
3: Yeah. Good
1: Lord. It, 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 sent um, the first five years, I call five years of darkness. And that was, uh, that was the first year it happened. Uh, the second year after the Discovery Channel did their thing, from the second year on, it just got worse. I mean, it got so bad that I didn't want to ever talk about it again. And I actually went outside and shouted to the heavens, I'm done with you. You know, why do you do this to me? Why is my children affected now? You came in and you healed me and now I've got this problem.
2: Right, and it's important to note that through these five years of, you know, we call darkness, not because of the phenomenon, because in those five years, we were having continued experiences together and separately, like I was 10 years old when this happened in 2007, and throughout all of those years, we were seeing things and then going and being ridiculed publicly and you know, in different circles while we were still having the experiences. So there was a lot of like cognitive dissonance there (laughs) with like, oh, we're actually seeing it, but nobody believes us and it's still happening. Mm.
0: So this first experience sort of unlocked a whole bag of other experiences on everybody. Absolutely. On all of us, yeah.
1: Even you, last night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what other types of experiences are we talking about? Well, go ahead, you can talk.
2: I mean, anything you can think of, really, I've seen things, we've seen things like jump off of the table without being touched, like moving, things moving on their own, seeing shadow figures being touched. um, Anything, like you would think it was a haunted house growing up, but that's, you know, part of how we explain that this is all spiritual in nature is because it can really manifest in any way that it wants to. And so the phenomenon is not limited to what people think of as aliens or UFOs. Where we were obviously seeing orbs every night as well. We were seeing things in the home that you would think of as like ghostly maybe. Yeah. But it was all the same stuff.
0: When did the orbs the orb sightings start? Immediately after? Never quit. From two thousand and seven that night, it just
1: continued to this So day. from
0: then on you just started noticing things in the sky?
1: Uh, it was in my face. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I write about it in the book. S- so many stories that we didn't write about. I, I wrote 140,000 words for this book, and we published 85 or 90,000. That's including the introduction. So there's a lot that we didn't include. But um,
2: Daddy would wake us kids up because Mom didn't really like, you know, the, the conflict with the phenomenon, so she didn't. Really encourage the experiences, but Dad would secretly wake me and my two other brothers, uh, Ryan and Jeremy, up at like whatever time of night, and we would go out on school nights at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and just look at orbs in the yard, really? right in our face. And then we would go to bed and go to school the next morning like nothing happened.
1: Uh, some wow. of these orbs would be 50 feet around and a hundred yards arc. away. Yeah, huge, bigger than biggest trees. Yeah. And flying, some of them, through the trees. And sitting out there for hours, we had one blue orb that just stayed there for everybody walked walk by the door, and we'd look through the window and see it going through the trees and stuff. That's, now, do you know. these orbs make any sounds? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. Not all of them, but if they're close enough, you can hear them. What, what, how would you describe the sound?
2: Like a ringing, like a buzzing kind of buzzing energetic
1: electrical Electrical. sizzling if you heard if you ever took a, a taken a light switch, and when you go to turn it on an old switch, especially, you hear a crackle sometimes when you go from yeah. on to off. Uh, that's a lot of what it sounds like, a crackling, sizzling sound any
0: there is there any other is there a smell? No smell. No smell. No smell. And what about the colors? The co- What is the color spectrum of them? What is the range of colors that you see?
1: Nearly all of them, um, all of them can change colors. There, I don't think there's a, you hear people say, oh, there's a red one and it's mean and there's a yellow one and there's an orange one and there's these green ones will kill you. I've heard so many people talk about that. But it's it's, from my experience they're uh, all the same they just how they decide to appear in color but they usually will start out white and shift from white to red so everything in between yellow orange blood red back to white yellow orange and that spectrum but occasionally they're blue uh they'll 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 go from red to white to blue this bluish white light um not like an American flag thing, but you know they're pulse they're shifting red. You see, mm. you see the red in with the blue. Several videos of blue ones. And what is this photo right here? We're looking at that far. If you look at Christopher, that's Chris Jr. If you look at his left shoulder behind him, where the woods are, mm-hmm. that's where I had the encounter with the three-foot beam. Oh, really? Yep. And that's where they landed. The orbs landed in my yard. You can see this circle here is two years old. The grass still not growing. Wow. It killed the grass. except for a little donut in the middle. And those streaks you see behind him are where two other orbs came from different directions and scooted along the ground, burning the grass, until they sat down and created their circle. So there were three of those circles in the yard.
2: And MUFON tested that as well.
1: What is, can you explain? What MUFON is? MUFON is the mutual UFO network. And that's who you call if you have a sighting and you want to report it. You call those guys, and or go on their website and you can put your sighting in. And that's what. what so it's uh, basically
0: it's just people scattered around the country that are interested in the topic, and they just donate their time to right research it and collaborate.
1: It's a pretty big outfit, and they have you know they have board members, full time people there, but it's basically a. Uh, volunteer, the investigators are mostly volunteers there, so but yeah they 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 tested that soil, and the funny thing is the tree back in that back corner there's a big oak tree <clears throat> in the woods where I run up to it and stood there with this bean from me, and it the tree just died, the limbs fell, big huge tree, it's just crumbled down just like the top of that burning tree, remember. Mm. That orb, that orb, where that orb landed there, is 12 feet from the tree.
2: I'll show you the, right here. This is the, well, here's a better photo.
1: So when it come over the tree, one of those orbs, the one that, that had the full circle, the other two had tracks leading up to where they landed, right? Mm. But the other one Chris Jr. was standing at actually, we believe, came over the top of that tree. And he radiated it because you can see forty feet of the tree is missing. It's right, broke right off. It looks like it's burnt off at the top. Well, it wasn't burnt. It just broke and fell. It died. Really, tree died and then um,
0: caught fire. So the so the first time you noticed this, you you just saw the tree in your yard burning. Yeah, we have a video of it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, oh, there's a video. Yeah. Do we it, have that? Yeah, we can find it.
1: Okay. Yeah. That but is.
2: mom tried to put the fire out three times, and it came back.
1: There you go, top one. Here there. we go. It lit itself on fire three times. That night. at nine o'clock, uh, it this caught fire. just
2: spontaneous. Oh, here we go. Combusted in our backyard.
0: Oh wow! <laughs> Hit the full screen button on the on the bottom right. Yeah, right there. This
2: is so weird. There's Emily coming home. It hasn't been thundering or lightning or none of no. night,
1: y'all. I don't even think it rained today. You see the grass is wet where the headlights.
2: That's my brother Ryan.
1: Yeah, burning from the inside out. How is it burning from the
0: inside out?
1: I don't know, but here's the weird thing, Danny. We don't know! This is when I quit smoking. Remember in 07, I, 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 I had to smoke to blow out the window, right? This is 2013. And, um, I was, I walked, I, I paused my television. Vaughn and I, her mother and I, were sitting watching TV. In our study, I said, I, I paused the TV. I said, I'm going to go smoke. And so she got up to go to the kitchen. I went out the back door, pool glass door, and I was standing on the patio, lit up a cigarette, and I could see this tree is 75 yards from the house, back in the back of the property, in the middle of nowhere. And, um... I saw sparks come from the ground and go up. It looked like the little bottle rockets She'd shoot off, the little tiny ones, the yeah. red sparkles. Uh, That's what it looked like. They came out, and they went weird looking. So my wife is coming back down the hall, and she could see through the back door, see me um, on the patio. But she could see all the way to that tree. She opened the door and said, what's going on with that tree? I said, I don't know. I see it, too. And suddenly it just erupted like somebody just poured gas on it. Poof, it just erupted into flames. And it was dead. Now look, this is after the fire. It came back. How long after the fire is this? That's the very next summer.
2: The fire was in like October. This was the next like spring, summer.
1: Spring, yeah. Wow. It
2: had been completely dead.
1: That year before, 2012. Um, April of 2012. I'm going to talk about the lady here. It's in my book prominently about the lady. And um, Easter, Saturday night, Easter the night before Easter of 2012, Mm -hmm. I was so distraught because of the way my kids were being treated. I'm a big guy, you know. I got to the point where I didn't care. You can laugh at me. You can call me crazy. You can do what you want. I don't care. You just won't be my friend anymore. I don't need, need you in my life. And that's kind of what I thought about everybody that I grew up with, cousins, just family and friends. So I'd wash my hands with them, but now it's affecting my children extremely bad, getting made fun of and, and all. So I was desperate to prove to the world that, I had actually experienced something that I won't crazy. They they'd labeled me that. The whole community. Or you're playing with the devil. One of the two. And I knew different. I knew I was praying to God and these balls of fire came. I knew they took my crones away. I knew it wasn't the devil. If it was, what a big trick. Why does the devil answer prayer? If it does, I don't want to be praying. right? So... Um, I had uh, given up that night and I walked outside and I said, Look, I've been trying to film you. You're in my house. You're around my family. Everybody here sees your presence, these orbs. It's, it's, it's an intelligent, they're intelligent beings. These orbs are beings, they're individual beings, sometimes more than one. And so I shouted to the heavens, I'm done. You won't let me film you. You won't let me share you with my mom and dad who lives next door. The minute they come out, it never shows. When they walk back in the door, boom, it's right back in our family's face. So it was like, it was was so real to us as a group of six people, but it wasn't, I wasn't able to share it. This episode of the podcast
0: is brought to you by Seed. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a gut feeling and it paid off? There's a reason you trust your gut. And that's why our enteric nervous system, which regulates the gut, is often called the body's second brain. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a new standard in probiotic, which supports digestive, skin, heart, and gut health. Its non-fermenting formula is supported by clinical trials and scientific studies and delivers what you need, where you need it. I personally use Seed because it helps support my body's ability to break down fats and lipids and it maintains my blood cholesterol levels already in the healthy range. And with Seed's DSO-1 Symbiotic, it's two capsules in one. The outer layer dissolves in your stomach with fiber that feeds your gut bacteria, and the inner capsule is designed to travel all the way to the colon for the precision-delivered payload. Additionally, Seed is rigorously tested for 14 classes of allergens defined by the European Food Safety Authority. Listen to your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com forward slash Danny and use the code Danny for 25% off your first month. That's 25% off seeds. DSO one daily symbiotic at seed.com slash Danny
1: code Danny back to the show.
0: You, so you couldn't witness it with anybody outside the family.
1: Not, not before the first five years it was, um, but I did with other people, you know, some scientists got to see or very real, selective. Yeah, very selective, but it was almost impossible to introduce anybody to it. Mm-hmm. And so I went outside that night, and I shouted to the sky, I'm done with you. You have ruined my life. Thank you for healing me. I'm not sick anymore, but my life is in worse shape now than it ever has been. I'm a big guy, but my kids, I can't take them coming home crying and And three boys, 15, 16, 17 years old, trying to date girls, and now they're withdrawn because of all this. And so I'm talking to the heavens, to the sky just like this. I'm done with you. I'll never speak of you again. Don't come around me. Don't come in my house. I'm done with you. And that's what I did, and I walked in and I went to bed. My kids were there because of Easter, they always had friends come over, so the house was full of children, and they were in the front part of the house uh, playing video games, and I'm in the back alone. My wife's sleeping with her, because the boys had all these boys over, and Mom's standing guard, right? So, so she's she. I'm totally by myself. So I'm I'm asleep. Three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock on the dot. I heard this voice say, "Arise," and a manly voice i mean it sounded like thunder it was so loud and it woke me up from a dead sleep till i jumped up out of bed and to a sitting position and i looked around the room panicked i said i heard that who's in here if it had been my wife it wouldn't have startled me but because it was a deep thunderous manly voice it scared me to death and i looked straight at my clock had old desktop clock back then everybody had alarm clock right use one so now we use a cell phone yeah (laughs) I looked and it said 3 a.m. and I could see movement in my room it looked like these shadowy figures that we've been used to seeing they were at the bed foot of my bed these shadowy figures and what they did I don't know they put me in some sort of trance-like thing to where I stood I got out of bed I was in just my underwear I put on full of jeans, pants, shirt, shoes, and I walked right out the back door following them. And we went back out to the dog kennel to where everything had happened before, right? Just right up to the dog kennel. And just before we got to the kennel, one of these beings stopped and turned and handed me this object with two hands just like this, handed it to me, and I reached out and I took it. It said, this is yours, you must keep. So when I grabbed it, it felt like a hedgehog. It's prickly. It wasn't hurting, but it was prickly, and it, it felt like it was a living, um, like a dog, but it had no head or no legs. I could see it, but it scared me really bad the way it hit my hands. so I dropped it on the ground. This voice said, no, you must keep that is yours you must keep so I reached down to pick it up and when I did when I stood up they were gone there was no more beans in front of me and I thought what am I going to do with this thing and I'm juggling it and I'm thinking quick and so I opened the dog kennel and I set it in the kennel and closed the door thinking you'll be safe there I don't know what it is so this has all happened so quick and the minute I closed that door I stood up and this blast of wind it was so strong this wind it was a mighty wind but it was localized it wasn't the trees around me it wasn't the forest it was a blast of air in a circle in front of me that the tree this oak tree in front of me just disappeared into a black hole and out of that hole came this wind which pushed me backwards really quick. It was like so fast it caught me off balance. And I fell all the way to my back, flattened the leaves. Yeah. And as I'm falling, I could see what looked like a a fifteen hundred pound bull, a cow, come out of that hole, ran right over top of me. And I could see through it. I could see the stars right up through it. But I could see this bull. And so I land on my back and I roll to my stomach, and when I roll uh, and I'm trying to get up, right, I'm going to run. I, it happens within seconds. I hit my back, I roll to my stomach, and I'm facing the other way, so I'm trying to get to my knees and to my feet to run to know where this thing went, and immediately, uh, the cow wasn't there. It was a woman, beautiful, beyond measure. she was glowing this. Bluish white color. And she had this um, white dress on that sparkled when it was flowing. Her dress just moved. And it looked like an old Roman dress. It went all the way to her feet and, uh, and sleeves out to her hands here and a collar. There's a painting of her right there. And that was done. You painted this? No, the man standing to me is a famous artist from New York, Doug Auld. And Doug. Painted that just out of you know what I described to him, you can see the bull to the right there, and there's actually a a triangle on her chest. He put it on there and and pretty crazy that painting's big, but her face is different, but that's similar to what was in front of me, Three so. Foot. Three foot floating in front of you. Yeah, three foot off the ground, but six foot away from Six Mage. foot away.
0: And the size of her, was it like the normal hu- size of a human? she was smaller. Smaller. See-through? Could you not see her? No, through? she was solid as solid. you are, yeah.
1: But her mouth wasn't moving, but I could hear her plain as day talking to me. But she was hovering, barefooted, just like that, three feet off the ground. And she looks at me. I'm just... In this biggest shock words can't describe how the power I felt from this wind and this bull run me over and the fear that set in flight of I had to run you know I had this instant fear hit me but now I'm looking at this woman so that whole fear thing turned into oh my god you know what is this is this an angel what am I looking at She leans over, and she looks at me, and she says, this is your burden. She said, first, she said, you know why I'm here. And I knew why she was there, because I had struggled internally for five years. These orbs come, and it talks telepathically. I hear them, and we proved this on the History Channel live with Andy, Mm -hmm. right? They knew that my brain was communicating with the orbs, even though I wasn't Moving, we did this on camera, and neuroscientists measuring my brainwaves—they could tell. Mm-hmm. So I'd had for all these years this overwhelming desire to tell the world, and the more I told it, the worse it got, the worse ridicule, and it spilled over to my children. So that's why I was ready to quit. But she said, "This is your burden; you got to bear." and she said um, several things. And this is, I've been telling this for a long time about the times we're in now. You know, we're in some pretty weird times, right? Mm. But she told me about that, and I put it out there in 2012. This happened Easter of 2012. She said um, there's gonna be trouble coming. And we're going to wake the people up, and we're going to let you do it. We're going to use you. We want to help you introduce us to the world. That's what she said. And um, she told me about an alignment. She said, "There's going to be uh, she said, "When the red she said, "When the star of Regulus, when the star of Regulus." arises on the horizon in the gaze of the Sphinx, at that time there will be a shift in the knowledge of humanity. That's what she said. I didn't know what it meant. I had no clue if this star would align on. The um, star of, of a Regulus? Regulus, a star called Regulus. When it aligns on the gaze of the Sphinx before daylight, when that star comes up and it's right up just above the horizon, like the orbs last night, right on the ground, in view of the Sphinx, there'll be a shift in, in the knowledge. There'll be a new knowledge for humanity. So I told that. Also saw visions of trouble that would happen beforehand, which is we've been having weird troubles, right? So I'm not a prophet, and I don't want to claim to be, but I did say this in 2012, and I've said it for the last, what, 11 years, just, and it's all happening. So. The amazing thing is, Danny, is uh, I went from totally quitting and announcing it to the heavens, I'm never going to do this again, to a new renewed energy of now what am I going to do? If I tell this about the lady, they're going to come lock me up. They're going to think I'm Mm -hmm. crazy for sure. Mm -hmm. So I didn't say anything for a while. And two weeks later, a week later, I had vowed not to ever speak about it again. One week later, I get a call from MUFON saying, we want you to talk in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, which is six hours away. And I readily accepted, yeah, I want to talk. So I was uh, a, a different attitude towards it. And that's where I met Diana Pasolka, two weeks after the lady came. And I started talking about the lady in that conference. And the audience began to heckle me. They made fun. They didn't want to hear about the lady. They wanted to hear about the the river event. So it was a very traumatic thing. And uh, that bonded Diane and I for all these years to where that's how we became to know one another. But the crazy thing is, is immediately when she left, that's when I began to document everything. I could get pictures. I could take you out and share it with you. Only after she
0: came. Only after the lady came. Yep.
1: What do you think the bull symbolized? I don't know, but I know this. It got the attention of Diana and the Vatican and CIA, NASA, and... Everybody, DOD, um, even the Ministry of Defense in Britain, Australia, uh, all these people—they wanted to know about the lady immediately. Let me tell you. In fact, I put it in writing to two generals at the Pentagon what she told me. I was asked to do that.
0: I have there. I mean, I, there's. I have a whole bunch of questions in my head right now, but I want to try to figure out how to pick this apart a little bit um first of all steve do you remember when we were talking to randall the other day we were going through the different ages in the great year yeah um what what age are we in now as far as like the constellations (laughs) that's the first thing i thought about is like the age of the bull and the lion Mm -hmm. we're in aquarius we're in aquarius right now like that song age of aquarius right right oh yeah we were singing age of aquarius (laughs) and what's the next one Is there a way you can pull up like a diagram, uh, that circular diagram he was showing us?
1: Well, let me tell you what she told me. She said that there was a shift in the powers of the heavens and that she had been away. The feminine energy was about to come back and there will not no stopping it and that that there would be a shift, and that that shift would be into Aquarius, and that the Divine Feminine would come back as the energy that would create a thousand years of peace. That's what she told me. There'd be trouble first, but in time, that peace would come to this world. All right, so it goes
0: Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius. Okay. Aquarius. Followed by Pisces. Okay, so we got a long way to go before we're in Taurus again.
1: Oh. Interesting. But you know, the lady in, in Egypt is depicted, Hathor, with uh, bull horns or a bull next to her. Many countries, the lady is always depicted as with a bull or either have bull horns with a solar disc mm. or beside the bull so it goes hand in hand with her. Throughout many countries. What did Diana say about the lady? Did she have any speculation about who she was? Yeah, they quickly referred me to the Fatima lady and the lady of Guadalupe, uh, the lady of Lords France, and um, Fatima, and there's several others. There's one in Egypt that, um, I don't know the name. Can you pull up the lady of Guadalupe?
0: Um, now the Sphinx there's been people that have speculated the
1: Sphinx was originally a lion yeah what's weird is Regulus is in the Leo constellation so,
0: Regulus is in the Leo constellation so
1: when the Leo constellation comes up and aligns with that brightest star called Regulus um, is there images I think it's Leo I'm pretty sure it's Leo okay this is the Lady of Guadalupe yeah
0: so the yeah, that was the first time you saw the lady, and when did she did she give you a specific time when things were going to change with humanity?
1: She's you know I've seen her more than one time, and um, yes, I didn't hear from her except at Easter uh, of twenty thirteen. She came back.
0: Okay, yeah, Regulus. It is a constant a star. It's the star of Leo, the Lion Heart.
1: Yep. And when she told me when that star aligns on the horizon before daylight, in in the gaze of the Sphinx, there would be a shift in the knowledge of humanity, a new knowledge. And that's what she told me. But there would be trouble along the way first. And they gave me the images of war. I even wrote that I saw Israel bomb Iran and Syria, and we're looking at it right now. I put that in writing for years. I'm not talking today, I did it. I've said this for a long time. And it's it's coming, it's happening. Let's hope it don't, but it's looking that way.
0: At what point did you start getting visited by people in government and people in NASA or CIA? 2007.
1: Eight, 2008. It so was, right after. Yeah, well, I didn't report the incident until October. So it happened in January mm. of 2007. I come home telling this, and my wife was so afraid. The, the kids were scared. They didn't know what was happening. The church, um, being in a Pentecostal holiness church, I was a deacon in the Pentecostal church, so you can imagine Pentecostal church is way different that's Dr. Povemire, Hal Povemire. Um, So they immediately related it to de- demons. So my wife is trying to keep the family uh, under control and hush me up about it. So I didn't talk about it for 10 months other than my kids. Orbs would be in the yard at night, 2 in the morning. I'd wake them up and bring them outside and say, look, your daddy's not crazy. There they are, right? So um, my wife began to experience it, I think in the, well, what time was it in '07, seven when she got shoved in the kitchen?
2: It must have been in the fall. It was a few months later.
1: She got shoved in the kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, twice.
2: Dad had been praying, you know, that mom would have an experience so she would believe him. And she was doing the dishes and no one was awake or around and some something shoved her into the sink, and it scared her so bad she said, Don't ever pray for me again. <laughs>
1: <Wow>. <laughs> Shoved her twice, but. Um, I don't blame her. Yeah. So I didn't speak about it for the first 10 months, and it was October um, that I had cable finally. We didn't even have cable, I couldn't afford it. I had no TV mm-hmm. uh, other than local, you know, you get a few channels with a rabbit ear. And so. We got cable and I started researching UFOs. How do I tell somebody? Who do I talk to? I've got to get this out of my head or I'm gonna go crazy because my head's hurt really bad. Every time I tried to think about the subject, I would go into almost uh, pass, I did pass out very often. Uh, it would it would hurt so bad I would pass out in front of everybody. It was it, my brain had a lock on it and um, so it was October, I saw a MUFON ad on the History Channel about uh, uh, Stanton Friedman, this mm-hmm. nuclear physicist was talking, and the first time I'd seen a show like that. And I thought, hey, he's pretty cool, if this guy would tell it, I'm gonna tell it. So I, I Googled them and found their application to submit um, a report, and I wrote it out. Two weeks I went off. by. I Tempted to push that button, and I knew if I pushed that button, I'm going to lose my wife. That's what I thought. I was under that much stress. So for two weeks, I agonized. Finally, I hit send, and I felt this relief, but I didn't expect to hear anything back, right? So within a week, I get this call. Within days, a couple of days, I get a call from Mufon out of California saying, we want to come see you like right away. And I'm like, oh no, you can't do that. I just wanted to say it, right? So I told them no. And they kept calling me and, ta- and calling and calling and come January of 08, or right around the first of January, um, they wrote me again and I finally said, I've got to tell this, mm. I can't hold it no longer. So I <laughs> said, yeah, you can come and it was february of 08 when the first person showed and that's when i told uh, my wife was sitting there on the couch while the investigator was there and she looked over at him and she and i hadn't talked about this period only me and the kids she was always fussing at me don't get them out of bed you know right. they gotta go to school and that's when she asked uh steve the investigator if uh, you ever seen any shadowy beings? You know, they, I've been seeing them and I got shoved in the kitchen and I said, my prayer's working, I've been praying you would experience this and she looked at me and pointed her finger and said, don't you ever pray for me again like that? <laughs> we all thought it was funny, but. That was
0: the first time you ever heard her talk about shadowy figures? Yep.
1: Yeah. She wouldn't talk around me, she would around them, but she wouldn't me and she was trying to hide it, you know. But um, it just became uh, within two weeks, um, within two weeks of Mufon coming to my house in February, they had already talked me into doing a documentary with the Discovery Channel. This will vindicate you; the whole neighborhood will know you're you're not lying about it. So they talked me into it, and that was a bad mistake, Mm. bad because it turned the opposite way. I don't think they ever it would happen again I didn't think that because it don't normally happen somebody see something that's it but it didn't stop it came back and did you ever see any of those sh- three-foot childlike beings again yeah yeah I sure did in fact there's a picture of them I'm trying to
2: find it I can't
1: it's there
2: seem to find the
0: Photo, but. And you, you mentioned the first time during the river experience when that first being explained to you, he wasn't there to harm you, he was only there to help you. Right. Was there any other communication, any other times that you saw them or yep. experienced them? Yeah, two nights
1: later. This was on uh it was a Monday night when we had the experience on the river, Chris Jr. and the group. Wednesday night, my wife wasn't coming home to Friday, right, so we're staying the rest of the week there, uh, just Junior and I. And Wednesday night, um, I'm struggling with Chris Junior because he's in shock, and he's had a really scary experience, right? Um, He was in a bad way. And so um, Wednesday night, it was about 9 o'clock, 8.30 or 9 at night, Suddenly, we're at home, he and I, watching television, just dad and son, and these same dogs start barking again, same way, scary bark. So I ran to the back door and could look out over the whole property, out through the back, full glass back door. And there was a Christmas tree farm beside us, a big one. They had uh, new trees where people would, they would send them out, you know, cut all these trees down. But it was a section of that Christmas tree farm that was overgrown. You see the far back right corner mm. uh, on the woodlands, our property line. But yeah. on the other side of the, that, excuse me, was this huge Christmas tree farm. I can see it looks like a wall of trees. Yeah. So um, the trees were so big that they grew together. So there was no walking through the place. There were 40-foot tall spruce pine trees. But underneath, you could get down on your knees, and there was no weeds at all. It was just these short little pine needles, and it was a section three feet of height underneath all them trees. You could see for a long ways, and so I just crossed the fence. The, the lights were flashing, pulsating in the Christmas trees. The whole tree was lit up. The farm, and I knew what it was because we'd seen it Monday night on the river. These white, big white orbs flashing. And um, I don't know what got into me, but it was a change in my life at that moment because I had been a hunter. I was raised with a rifle and a shotgun. I shot my first deer at 5 years old. I was shot in the back at 10 years old, had a near-death experience, nearly. You know, I was the luckiest guy in the world when I was 10 years old. Blew a hole in me, but it's big, big as an orange. Shot in the back with a shotgun? Yes, from me to you. That's a whole other story. The scar
2: is still the size of like a big orange or a grapefruit.
1: <sighs> yeah, right straight in line with my heart right there. And if I pull up my shirt, you can see lead right here oh, wow. through the skin. Yeah, That was the first near death. And so I don't know why, but I was angry. Just seeing my son get upset again all over because now we got, two nights later, these lights in the backyard again. And it's taken me two days to kind of calm him down, and now he's freaked out bad. Oh, my God, he's just really freaked. And um, so I just had this bit of rage come in me, and I walked over to the gun cabinet, and I grabbed a little holster, 44 Magnum rifle, a little short saddle gun I used to bear hunt with. I'm on record, Boone and Crockett record book for shooting Six hundred sixty-pound black bear, wow, North Carolina. So big, it was a record at that time. Uh, still in the, probably the top five, but um, I took that gun and I said, "You come with me, Jenner." He said, "No, I'm not. I'm not going out that door." He said, "Please don't leave me, Dad." I said, "Son, I'm going to end this tonight." That's what I told him. I was just being a father, I guess. So I walked back to that back. Far back, right corner, and I went through that little opening you see. Walked another fifty yards to the along that side, and there was a fence there, old hog fence that the trees had fallen over in one spot, so it wasn't used anymore, but it was crunched down. And I knew it there. I didn't want to, to cross that fence until I got back there, so I could step over it. So I stepped over that fence, and the first ten yards of the of that. Uh, tree farm was nothing but pines, so there was a a, a buffer area of pines, and then there's the wall of Christmas trees, a sure wall. I mean, there's no going through it. You couldn't drive a car through or a bulldozer. So I got on my knees, and I started under, and I could see this orb. is about 50 yards away, or not even that far, 50, 60 feet, 70 feet maybe, and it was pulsating. I could see the bottom, three feet of it. That's all the view I had, three feet of view under there. So I crawled, dragging that gun under these trees until I got about 20 feet from that orb, 20, maybe 30 feet. And the electricity from it, the buzz, the static, my whole body felt like needles. The hair was standing up, and every goose bump on me was just tingling. And the energy was so strong, I couldn't go any closer. I just turned around and I backed away walked back out of that forest crawled out and I got to the, the pine trees where the fence was crunched I stood up and I went to step over that fence and the minute I went to step over that fence there were two of these beings just appeared right in front of me one on I mean they were standing like three feet from me and just enough gap I could walk between them and immediately I felt this shame come over me shame that i had this rifle why i brought this to fight something that there ain't no fighting right so i took the gun and i tried to hide it behind me and what they put in my head was what changed me from that point on i never hunted again i don't harm bugs i have uh Away with animals now! Nobody understands. I have fifty, a hundred ducks, wild ducks who fly in and fly right up to me. If you come out there, they're gone, but they'll fly right up me from me feed them. Wild mallards, and if anybody knows about mallard ducks, they're one of the most skittish Mm. creatures in the world. They fly thousands of feet high at eighty miles an hour and. You need duck calls and blinds and decoys in the water to get one to land. Well, I have whole flocks of them fly right in and eat. I can feed them. But that wasn't like that before. But these beings told me that they changed me. They told me that um, the way they put it in my head, when I say told me, they don't really talk. They put images that you know. It's telepathic, I guess you could say. But it made me understand that the whole world is um, is a living, is is alive, everything. From the grass to every single animal, bird, tree, all had a consciousness. They even put images to me uh, of the cells in the body, like... In, within the human body, there, there, you don't tell your body what to do. Something outside of us is telling our body how to function. The molecules, the, the, um, each cell that divides from one cell to the other has a conscience. So um, I'm just a part of that. Uh, I can't get the words out I want to say. Um, but it just changed me in such a way that I began to cry about everything. I've cried for the last seven, eight, ten years, I guess, about everything. When I see something get hurt, it just kills me. But it came from that experience with these beings on how they told me how everything's a living consciousness, and I don't have the right to take its life that... um, We live in a mutualistic way. Like your stomach, for example. You have bacteria in your stomach Mm. that digest chlorophyll, plant material. The human can't do it, but this bacteria does. And it secretes the nutrients that you get from that plant. And it survives because you're feeding it the, the plant material. So it's a mutualistic way we live. And Mm -hmm. it's like a tree gives you wood for a house. It gives you shade for the sun, a nest for a bird, oxygen to breathe, and the list goes on. So everything has a part of life on this planet. And it's not up to us to destroy it and abuse it. And I could talk about this for days. Wow! Yeah. It changed me. And um this was in
0: the very beginning. How long did it take before you the were obviously the word had to get out, but like how long did it take f- before one of these guys like Hal Pavanmayer from NASA to show up and and was he the first one to show up and why why did he show up?
1: Um, remember the we got past this, I guess, but February they came and did the report by June they were doing the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, by late July, August, I think it was, Hal shows up at our house knocking on the door, and I was away in town, and my youngest boy, Ryan, answers the door, and there's a six-foot-four guy, giant man, standing <laughs> at the door yeah it was
2: just ryan and i and he came and we're, and he was like is chris Bloodso here and we're like uh no who no, are you no
1: calls no, <laughs> no no no
0: letters just showed up unannounced he
2: drove all the way from florida
1: cape canaveral
0: just
2: on a whim and knocked on the door
1: it's two and a half hours from here <laughs> yeah it was 13 hours to our house right, and right. so he drove and Ryan calls me and he
2: he's... flashed some badges. So we let him in and we just like <laughs> sat at the dinner table with him until dad came home.
0: What was he talking? What was he saying to you? What was he asking you?
2: I don't remember everything. I was pretty young, but he was just, I mean, mom came. So we were talking and she was just asking him questions. And Ryan was probably taking the lead. I don't remember. Hmm. I was pretty shy.
1: But what he did was is, um, well, to begin with, this is in the book. For the first five years, we had been involved with the UFO world on a limited scale. You know, they everybody heard about us. They wanted us to come speak. They wanted to come visit, and I let a few people come. And the Men in Black was a big thing back then. That was about the year it all came out. Um, and so everybody was saying the government will kill you. Don't speak to this one. Don't if you see somebody from the government. That don't speak. I mean, they put the fear of the government in my whole family. And who, so, who is they? The well, the people associated with, with MUFON. The, the people associated with MUFON, which is you the that. UFO world, mm-hmm. basically. You know, so once that show came out, it brought everybody that's involved in the UFO world. Uh, knocking on my door, bringing groups of 10, 15, 20 people sometimes. And they would come. I'm not saying it was MUFON. It's people associated with them, mm-hmm. the, the UFO world. So they were all about the men in black. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. So when the government got <laughs> the house, shows up at the house, automatically it was fear. We were all afraid. And I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. And for the first few months i would never uh, give him any information but yet he took to my children and he loved this one more than anything Mm. i mean
2: he came to my college graduation birthday parties recitals like wow he would drive all the way to be a part of our family
1: yeah he was always there and you know what he told me, he said, Chris? He was at, when he died, he had been at NASA, still holding security clearances for 60 years. That's how long he's been there. He worked with Werner von Braun before it was NASA. He took his astrophysics uh, ast- his degree in astronomy and astrophysics from uh, J.L. and Hynek at Ohio State University. He was like 15 when he graduated college. How's a genius, yeah. Freaking genius he was. And so... Um, Why was he interested in this? Why was he interested in you? Because they knew what I was saying. The, the word, the, the triangle. The triangle in the chest of the being, that was a big thing. A little child with a triangle. The lady uh, was 2012. That it, <clears throat> happened later. But that even brought more people. But it was they'd known they knew the phenomenon was real. They've known it. Don't listen to them on TV. I mean, they say we don't know. We don't have anything. Yes, they do. They all know. Was this personal for him, or was this this, this, was this was business? Part, this was
0: part of a, a, a NASA sent him. This wasn't just him, like a side hobby. Well,
1: no, I wouldn't say NASA sent him because he would always tell us not to say that. Oh, okay. Because he wasn't supposed to be there. He was very
2: selective with what he would say.
0: Yeah. What kind of questions was he asking you?
1: Everything you can imagine. He
2: he would ask each member of the family the same questions separately to see if they would line up. And he did this for years and years and one day decided Mm -hmm. he couldn't debunk it and just decided he loved us. And that's when we started, you know, gaining like a friendly relationship with him and he like integrated into our family. Yeah that was after years of him trying to debunk us pretty much.
0: So he was coming there to cross-examine you guys, to find holes in your story to yep. see if, Basically. You know, if he was, was
1: sent. A, he told us he was sent to debunk this story. That's what he told us. He worked with J. Allen Heineck. He was the debunker. And we heard many stories how he would find a hole. This person, uh, you know, son of a sheriff, fake something. He called him. That's what he did. And, um, But he also would come and stay days while we weren't there. Didn't know he was in town. He would be at the newspaper. He'd be on every house on the street where this phenomenon first appeared to us in 2007. He investigated every house within a mile or two of that place. And that's who found the eight other witnesses that testified to him on his when he was getting the information that they had seen something that night. and So that's what he did. When he finally realized it was, he couldn't blow a hole in the story, that too many knew it was real, then um, he became a part of the family, and he began to see the phenomenon with me. We would sit out in the back and watched it come over. But we loved him. Al was a, a great guy. <clears throat> For our friends, uh, for my family, my children, we just loved a guy, and he was coming to our house, Thanksgiving of 2020, 2019, 2019.
2: He was coming.
1: 2019. Yeah, and um, we were expecting him on Friday for the Thanksgiving that weekend, and he 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 fell in his bathroom and hit his head and went in a coma.
3: Oh.
0: Who is this guy? Go ahead. That's
2: uh, Colonel John Alexander.
0: The men who stare at goats,
1: John that, Alexander. That's him. That
2: one, yep.
1: That's John. You see our? Can you zoom c- in on it a little bit? Mm-hmm. You see my hat there? That's, I've got a whole box of those. John wears one too. CIA. So okay. Explain this
0: story. How did you meet John Alexander, and, and what was your relationship with him?
1: Well, John starts off the first chapter of the book, and um this guy's like a legendary military general, right? Yeah, well, he's a colonel. Colonel, yeah. yeah.
2: What do they call him, Doctor Death? Yeah, that's his name.
1: Yeah, he was an assassin in the military. And he's
2: isn't his PhD in like death? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, near death is studies from Harvard, I think. He Is got he that. still alive?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I talked to him this week. Wow. Yeah. We, we stay in contact. I mean, right? we love John. John was at my house not long ago. In fact, we're going to spend... That's, oh, wow. That's Joe McMonigle, C-A-I-A spy number one, remote viewer number one. That's
2: 001.
1: 001, that's yeah. him. Joe McMonigle, he's a legend. That's at the Monroe Institute, by the way. Yeah, which we, uh, we love to be. How were you introduced to him, and what was his interest in you? John, um, it was 2015, I think, this lady by the name of Pam Nance. Uh, she's a, a research scientist for the government, and her home base is uh, Wake Forest University. So Pam calls me. Uh, I was introduced to her by somebody, uh, and then I've called her back. Long story short, she says, Chris, um, I'm researching the paranormal. Me and my assistant, Ashley, she said, we're researching the paranormal. And I just got to tell you, she said, I've been on Pilot Mountain in North Carolina. She lived from Winston-Salem, works at. Wake Forest right there in Winston-Salem, right? So she said, I was on Pilot Mountain or Mount Pilot, like the Andy Griffin show, Mount mm-hmm. Pilot, right? She has a cabin near there, uh, her home place from way back. And she said that she and Ashley would hike up on Pilot Mountain and sit under the stars and turn on this voice box. They call it a spirit box. I'd never heard of such. But it's a little device about like the size of a cell phone that has this awful noise that comes out of it. It sounds like a... Uh, like static. Uh, static, yeah, white noise. But it's ticking ticking, tick, 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 like so. And what it's doing is scanning millions of frequencies. And they, these investigators believe that, and I know now, that disembodied spirits or voices can come through that thing. So she said she was on Pilot Mountain and she would ask it questions, and it kept saying, Chris, UFO, Chris, UFO. And it said it over and over, over several days, she would hear the same thing, Chris, UFO. It even said Hope Mills, which is where we live. So she gets on the phone with um, MUFON and finds out uh, who is Chris in the UFO. Well, they gave her my number right away so she comes to the house and we're out at the burning tree first we did um, about an hour and a half interview in my study and she had all her equipment running and then we went um, not to get ahead of myself but while they did the hour and a half study inside they got like 60 or 70 voice communications audible that was recorded on a recorder just coming out of thin air So we go out to the tree, and we do this investigation, and uh, I'm just holding this box in one hand, spirit box, with a cord hooked to a digital recorder. So this is recording what this is saying, and you can hear this thing. So she talks me into standing at the burning tree while uh, my wife, her assistant, um uh, Pam and Ashley, my wife and Stephanie, my niece. There were four ladies standing, you know, ten feet from me looking at me. I'm leaning against that burning tree and I'm holding this thing. And we start asking questions. Crazy thing. This thing started talking and it would answer my question. It would say my name and four or five voices would come through it. They recorded three hundred and fifty audio clips and she said, I've never seen anything like it she said, if I went to the Charleston jail to do a ghost hunt, she could take six of these recorders and let them run for hours, each one, and they might get one voice out of, you know, 40 hours of recording, where we got over 350 recorded clips. But one thing it said, it said, Chris, the Pope is in danger. Help him. You must help the Pope. It was saying this. We got it on recording, and um, she even made a PowerPoint with this, with all these clips. You can listen to them. Are they online? No. Okay. (laughs) I've got them. Okay. But um, with all this happening, um, I knew that the Pope was going to Philadelphia. He was already had been into Washington and was making his trip to New York City and he was going to go to Philadelphia. Was this Pope Francis? I think it was Francis, mm-hmm. right? When they were going, he was going to make a speech at the Congress, old, uh, the original Congress hall in in Philadelphia. So, I call a friend that called me last night, the guy you asked me about who it was that called. Yeah. I, I said, I called this guy, I said, hey Larry, you won't believe this, I said, uh, this thing this lady has and I'm I'm talking to him right after all this investigation I said this thing keeps saying that the Pope's in trouble he's coming to Philadelphia he said you must help him it he was saying this not you can hear it you must help him so immediately my friend says we well, maybe you should come to to Philadelphia and uh, let's see what we can do about it so a couple, three days later, I'm in Philadelphia, and when I walk in his house, there stands John Alexander. First time I ever met him. And that's when we started remote viewing the whole Pope, first chapter of this book. And they actually arrested a guy for trying to blow him up. I even told him he was going to use a bomb. Um, I sh- saw where the boat ramped beside Ben Franklin Bridge. I drew it all out, and they verified it. And so they got Secret Service involved. Then John calls Joe McMoneagle and Joe says the same exact thing that I say. And so from that point they shut down Philadelphia. They closed every access into it and made people walk from the Jersey side across the Ben Franklin Bridge. You had to walk in, you couldn't drive. And they arrested a guy for that. So that's how I met John and it was a real thing what happened there and that got the attention of a lot of people did uh, you ever speak with the pope i never have personally i had words i had messages relayed to me from the vatican through diana and my friend from nasa tim taylor and uh, he sent me pictures of orbs and of saint francis with these orbs appearing and he had these hands were zapped, and at that time I couldn't use my hands. I could barely button my pants. I didn't get my kids to button my pants. And I couldn't tie my shoes, couldn't hardly pull my pants up, my hands were just inflamed. This is the arthritis that this kicked in. This is rheumatoid, which is an autoimmune disease. Um.
0: So, yeah, the other NASA individual you met after Hal how long, where on the timeline did you meet him?
1: I met him in 20, it was either late 2012 or early 2013. And um, what happened there, I was at a, a gathering in an old log cabin in upstate Pennsylvania on the Delaware River or on a lake. We crossed the river and did this beautiful historic cabin, had Thomas Edison's bedroom suit there, right? So big money. And uh, Taylor had heard I was there, and he was out in uh, L.A., California. And so he heard I was at that meeting, and he wanted to meet me. And he called and said, I'm coming from L.A. I'm heading to Huntsville, but I'm going to swing by Pennsylvania first to meet you. I want to talk. And so he showed up that afternoon. I'd been there one day. We got there Friday, Saturday evening. He shows up, and uh, we became very close friends from that point on. And uh, after he left from there, he flew out the next morning back to Huntsville. So he came in one evening, met me, made arrangements to come to my house and to meet my family. And a week or so later, he was in Fayetteville at my house. And... uh, the rest is history from there.
0: So, Tim, he was, what was his background? Where did he work? What was his, what was he studying, and what was his interest in you?
1: Tim is, uh, is an amazing guy. He's a genius, and he's a very kind-hearted person. Um, he is an engineer for NASA that uh, he's probably been at NASA now 40-some years, over 40 years. And he runs all the launches. He's the man. He's an NRO guy, National Reconnaissance Office. And And sorry to
0: interrupt, but let's just clarify for people what that means, National Reconnaissance Office. What do they do?
1: National Reconnaissance was a very secretive organization until a few years ago when they were discovered and it went public. But he... uh, he was a part of the Air Force, a part of NASA, and the CIA, all three. So he holds the credentials for all three. And what they do, these guys, they're the top ranks. They have the highest security clearances. They're so high they can't even travel. They can't go into the hospital and have surgery unless somebody's escorting him because he might talk. So they're the eyes on the sky. NRO guys see it all. They have, if there's anything flying in our space, there's a select few of those guys that get to see it. I mean, it's compartmentalized down to just a handful. So they they own all the satellites, all the spy planes. They run the launches because these, every time they launch something, something from up there, come check it out. Swim right up to it or fly up to it and make sure it's not something that shouldn't be. And I'll stop with that. So, let's just say some. Okay, of these well, that's <laughs> something we're gonna
0: have to talk about late a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> Swim right up to it. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right. Anyways, uh, we defined NRO. So he was a uh, an aerospace
1: engineer working for NASA for forty years. Yeah. And. Um, well, forty years now, probably he was there thirty years when I met him.
0: And what did he say to you? What What kind of things was he was he asking you when he when you guys first met?
1: Um, he was the kindest person, understanding, somebody I liked. He never doubted me. One of the worst things to do with this subject, and everybody feels that you're, you know, a a new person on the block is so afraid to tell anybody because of the way you're going to be perceived. You're Mm -hmm. crazy, right? Right. He was never like that. He was... Uh, and and what really was the difference and I'm sitting here with a a lead scientist from NASA the one of the top guys from NASA he runs the launches he is he runs the launches he runs them all this guy he's in charge he's the dragon he has a dragon tattoo on his arm his console is called dragon console I had the number to his dragon console yeah his console is named the dragon which is his space in mission control where he stands and runs the launch he's the dragon oh wow yeah and so to have that kind of person questioning me about what they look like not are you sure you saw this not i don't believe you it was none of that it was what what did they look like describe them to me were they this way were they that way did they walk this way they knew they knew all this stuff. And so for right away, I found somebody that um, that I appreciated that could help me understand. And he, he felt so sorry for Chris Jr. That his mission was to meet him. He wanted to meet Jr. He came, and he spent a lot of time with him changed his life because Junior had the worst problem being 17 years old with people telling him he's a liar. Mm. You know, that's the worst thing you can do. Grandmas and grandpas even said, I don't believe you. Uh, You know, were you on drugs or something? And it wasn't the case. And so this guy comes and he knew it was real and he went right straight to my house and he met everybody briefed us with an official briefing on a laptop with our name, our eyes only, the Bledsoe family. He tested each one of us with metamaterial and to see if we'd have a reaction to it. And uh, he he counseled Junior for a long time and changed his life because now he had some pride. He had somebody to believe him. And if NASA people would do that, then that's a really big deal. So is how that
0: he briefed you specifically what do you mean by that
1: (laughs) you can tell him
2: (laughs) well you can see in this photo it was the day of my homecoming uh game i had i was running for homecoming and so we were all called into my brother's room one by one to watch this briefing video, he had this PowerPoint that said, For the Blood So Eyes Only, and it had different photos and things that he would explain to us that I probably am not going to say or share. Mm-hmm. And then he would hand us all a piece of metal, and we would, you know, hold another piece and see if there was any sort of reaction. And he would test us all privately and separately so we wouldn't know what was happening. So he could get more of like a I don't know like a, a real reaction so we didn't like pretend or something and mm. we all felt something but when dad held the, the material even though we all felt like electricity he was like seizing from it because his experiences had been so intense um,
0: the photos he was showing you or the stuff that he was showing you was it like trying to cross-reference things that you guys had seen with things that he
1: had documented or yeah, some, some of it was area 51 which I can't say nothing about but um, uh, he would show us things and then ask questions. Why do you think that's like that? Why do you think that door is nine foot tall? And I won't say no more there, but let's just say um, because it was official briefing, I, I probably shouldn't go very deep and into And why the, do you think it's so classified? Well, it's always been the most classified subject, higher than the atomic bomb, And it's been that way forever. Do you think it's a good thing that it's so secret? Well, I think it's it's the cat's out of the bag now, and they can't hold on to the secret. They're going to try because they have no choice. So there's nobody at NASA qualified to walk up in front of the television and say this is this and that because it takes an act of Congress to change their whole mechanics before they can do that. So... these organizations can't tell it, and they're not going to. Congress is up there wanting them to, trying to demand them, but their protocol says no. So it takes a whole lot of politics to to maneuver around to get the Air Force to ever open up about anything. It's its own entity, basically. and For technology, and for um, state security, national security. That's why the government's not open about it. Uh, they don't want to talk about it because it's, it's, the technology involved with this stuff is incredible. And they're not about to give it away to just anybody. So
0: explain what happened again when he handed you this piece of material.
1: Well, he handed me. I was the last person in the room. So imagine my five My wife and four children, and Jenny.
2: I wasn't in the room when you held it, but go ahead. But most everybody was in there.
1: They were sitting on a bed or on a... Mm -hmm. Ryan had a couch in his room. But um, when I walked in the room, everybody was watching me and quiet. Couldn't say a word. And up on top of the dresser, you know, the dresser is tall, not not the...
2: Nightstand. Not the nightstand,
1: but the dresser, he had the laptop sitting up there. But it was, I'm looking up at it, and he goes through the whole briefing, mm. watching his PowerPoint and asking questions. And then he goes over to the chair and picks up a backpack, reaches in it, and he pulls out this little piece of metal. And it's about a half inch square, size of a postage stamp, thin. I mean thin. And he put it in my hand, and it just looked like a square of gray metal. He said, what do you think of that? I said, it looks like aluminum. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. So he reaches in his backpack and he pulls out another piece and he puts it in this hand. And it's like aluminum foil. It looked like aluminum foil. You could crinkle it up, but it wouldn't crinkle. It would stay wavy, but it wouldn't crease. So I messed with it and it just sat there. But the minute he put it in that hand. As it's, thin as aluminum foil? Yeah. This one was thicker. It was a piece of metal. This was aluminum foil. And he described this as the insulation. He said, this is the insulation. Like I already knew what he was talking about, right? But when he put that in his hand, it made a connection through my body to this hand. And my arms began to thump like that. And suddenly my eyes just started to black out. And he reached in my hand and took it out. And I got my vision good and he said, He was this close to my face. He said, why you? I said, do what? What just happened? He said, why you? I said, what do you mean, why me? He said, I would have known you were lying if you hadn't had a reaction. He said, I've never seen a reaction like this. He said, I've only ever seen two. But yours was by and far different than anybody's. Why you? I never understood what he meant by why you, but he said it three or four times. And from that point on, we've become friends and done some traveling together. And uh, I ended up with him. Um, where is this? It's at Cape Canaveral. That building right there, that door, is is very famous at NASA. That is the Astronaut Crew Quarter. And that building was built, in the, I think, in the 50s So when they, or 60s, when they put the first rocket into space, when an astronaut rides that rocket, they can't, they have to be in quarantine for like six weeks, I think, so they don't get a cold and the doctors. So they have a crew quarters that have bedrooms in there and a conference room and bathrooms and a doctor's office. And when they go in there, they live for weeks with their wife and children and the same house, den mother that arranges food, and so there's a lot more pictures of inside that place. But he told me that, in fact, when the, when we walked in the front door of it, the den mother come up and said, "How? who are you? I said, I'm his friend. He said, well, how'd he get in here? Who'd you point to, you're whose friend? Tim, Oh, it was me and Tim walked in there, and she <laughs> said, who are you? I said, I'm his friend. She said, well, you know, there's only 300 people ever been in this building, and that's only one U.S. president, no Congress, nobody, just 300 since its existence. That's including all the astronauts and the family members. In other words, she was asking why I was going into a place with such security. And I couldn't answer it, but I enjoyed the tour. I got to sit where John Glenn sat, or uh, all of them, got to hang out in, in the whole place and got to sit where they put their suits on and and then they filmed me coming out the door. That door is where all the astronauts would walk out holding their gear with the suits on. They would walk out that door and get in a an Airstream camper van, a gas-powered one, and they would be transported from that door to the rocket before they took off. So that's a really famous photo op there. So they treated me like Royal. And I'll give you a secret he told me. He uh, He said, your life will never be the same when you leave from this place. It'll change you. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, every time these astronauts went to space, something come back with them. And it's here. It's still here. Something comes back with them. Yeah. It's it's invisible, but it becomes visible every now and then. They see orbs all over the place there. Sure do.
0: Near the at the launch site, they see orbs. <clears throat> I what, pictures of them. What comes back with them?
1: I don't know. I know it. It it, it heightened everything happening with me experience with the phenomenon grew greater understanding of it grew it's the spirit it's, it's, it's ever, there's a lot of misunderstanding about these orbs and aliens they um maybe it's technology maybe but to me it's more like a spirit they're like spirits like ghosts but they can come full physical did he ever clarify what he meant by why you? Nope. He never did. He's a secretive guy. I mean, he's he's like a ghost, Tim is. That's why Diana wrote his book, wrote her book. She didn't put his name in there. Was, oh yeah, he was Tyler D. Yeah. In
0: uh, American Cosmic. Yeah.
1: But, you know, that's that was then. Now the subject is he probably don't like me talking about him, but that's okay. <laughs> it's part of my life and I'm sorry. You a good friend of mine, Tim
0: he never so he never clarified anything about like them trying to learn more about it and like them being interested and like why were they interested or why did they make themselves so visible to you and not other people
1: yeah we went over
0: that a lot you know and and, and you said there was two other people that experienced the same thing you experienced with
1: the metals. he didn't tell me who he just didn't said you know. i've seen two other uh in my life, I'd seen two other reactions, but nothing like yours. I remember something from your
0: book. I don't remember in what what it was a reference to, but I remember there were you mentioned a conversation that you had with him when you were at Cape Canaveral, and he said something like they weren't interested in anyone else, like they're we know about them. But oh, they don't. Know. They're not interested. They don't care about us. Right. Okay. So
1: when he first came, remember we were afraid of government people we were still had Hal there and i was still petrified about this guy so i asked him remember we we're afraid of the government so i was being tight-lipped and i said why are you here you know thank you for helping my children thank you for helping junior but why are you here why do you need me why does the government need me because i I'm still worried about the government right everybody's talking that they're going to kill you People have died, and I heard all this, but that hadn't been my feeling. Everybody I'd met had been really nice people. He said, because we see them. He said, we see them, but they don't want nothing to do with us. Zero. And we want to study them. We want to know more. And we would like to study you. Um, And we would suggest you don't go to any UFO events. Don't go to any conferences. Don't get involved because people that go to those tend to take on each other's stories. You get somebody that sees a light fly by during the car and an orb goes over. Suddenly, they involved with names. They're from the Galactic Federation. They were the Pleiadians. They were the Octurians. They did this. They did that. They know everything about when they only saw a light. This happens in the UFO world and a lot of those things people tend to know more than uh, the experts do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he said we see them but they have nothing to do with us and we'd like to know why they want you. We know they like you. We know that and we just want to investigate something. So that's how that happened.
0: Do, Do you have any idea the answer to that question? Why do they like you? Why do they want to communicate with you and not with
1: anybody else? I have no idea. I've asked that to a a hundred times. And Hal Povemire told me one day, and and he was always very tight-lipped too, Hal was. He would ask a million questions and tell you one answer, right? (laughs) It's the way he (laughs) always was. And I'm like, Hal, why are they here? Why did they want me? Why are they around me like this all the time? Uh, he said, "Because of your family." That's what he told me. He said, "They're probably your family." What that means, I don't know. And I'll tell you something else. Hal told me. Serious as all get out was, Hal mapped the moon. He wrote the book on occultational gra- occultation grazing. I don't know how you say that word, occultation grazing. Mm-hmm. In other words, he wrote many books on the moon. Okay. So he mapped the moon. He mapped the landing spot for the Apollo mission. He, he said, "You got to land here," and he drew out the coordinates. That's what Hal did. He studied the moon more than anybody in the world. He's the expert on the moon. So we were talking one night out watching the stars, and I'm like, How? I said, is there really something on the back side of the moon? He looked at me and he said, there are buildings up there, big ones, and we didn't build them. And they're ancient. 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 So help me, that's what he told me. And I didn't ask any more questions, but he, <laughs> he wouldn't answer. But he told me that. He said, there are structures up there that we did not build, and they're very old. This coming from the world's expert on the moon. Did you ask him
0: if the moon landing was real?
1: I never did. <laughs> I never did, but he says it was, yeah. so I believed him. Wow, wow. <laughs> he had his technology is still on the moon that he put up there. Uh, something for lasers to shoot off of and there's stuff up there, scientific mm, equipment right. that he was responsible for putting up there.
2: Didn't wow. he say the buildings look like mushrooms? Some of them. I thought that was really weird.
0: Some very ancient buildings that look like mushrooms on the dark side of the moon. Yeah,
1: That's what he said. I said, Tim, um, what do you think about the moon? Is there, uh, there's something going on up there? Is there structures up there? He said. He said, Do you think that it landed? by chance in the perfect spot where it eclipses the sun and it doesn't ever change its face to the earth. It stays locked in a position. He said none of that was by accident. He wouldn't elaborate anymore. He said, but there's something going on up there. I can't say, but it's not by accident.
0: I knew the moon was a spaceship. (laughs) Damn
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's what he told me so what is it how is it all i don't know we're at the beginning of studying this thing and uh what is it we're dealing with who is it how uh, all i can tell you is how it reacts to me and um wow, wow. Dem- demonstrate that part
0: so okay getting back to what he told you about music and keeping music in your head,
1: right? When why did he tell you to do that? Because uh, along about twenty fifteen, I think twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, somewhere in there, I get a call from a lady. I showed you a picture today of Chris Jr. walking in a field with mm-hmm. Tim and, yes. and a lady by the name of Chase Klusky. Yes. Chase is uh, very well known in the UFO world. And Chase Klusky. Klutzky her photo
2: here, I can Yeah,
1: chase and her okay, husband, Pete. Pete worked with the US Navy in the Intel, right? So just so just so happened, oh, Pete's uh Tim's at my house. And so the day that we were tested with metal
0: The bottom one. There you go. There,
1: there. they are. That guy on the right is Navy. US Naval subcommander, naval intelligence. And Tim is right. National Reconnaissance Office, NASA.
3: Chase,
1: uh, Yvonne, my wife, and of course Emily. And this was the 10th grade, right? 11th
2: uh, grade. grade. He told them if they wanted to visit, they had to come to my game. <laughs> so they all came to <laughs> <and> watch me.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah. So after that event there, uh, what, when was this homecoming, October?
2: Um. Yeah, it would have been like September, October of 2013.
1: So I think it's we fast forward to November of that year. Chase calls me and says, Chris, you ever heard of St. Paul's? I said, yeah, but before you tell me, let me tell you something. I said, Chase. I said, last night, Saturday night. I was uh, sitting on my back patio, had a fire going, just me, laying back, looking straight up at the sky, and two orange orbs appeared, red ones, just like you saw last night, the same color. They just appeared, boom, just appeared, sitting stationary above me, up, way up, and they came on down. And when they got to the top of the trees, they stopped. Now there's these two orange balls. Suddenly, they fired off straight towards St. Paul's, just above the trees. She said, oh my God, I can't believe this. I should have known. She said, um, Saturday night, this was Monday night she called me. She said, Saturday night, um, I got a call yesterday about a ghost hunter group from Wilmington, North Carolina. Wilmington Ghost Hunters. Wilmington Paranormal, I think the name of the group was. They were in St. Paul's at an old plantation house investigating ghost and they walked outside into the woods and there's this old rickety house that the farm tenants used to live in it's old I mean it was fallen in but they were in there in the edge of the woods and these two orange balls of light flew right over their head right over the trees and it freaked them out when they saw it and suddenly one of them said that this tall being peeped around a tree at them and they pulled out their guns. One of them was a police detective. One was a prison guard but they started shooting at it. They were shooting at this. They didn't just had a glimpse of it so they were shooting in the woods you know at this thing. you first asked questions later. (laughs) Right. And so I said uh, I said oh my lord. She said would you go with me over there? I'm coming next Saturday to investigate. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to go with you. So Saturday comes, Friday. I'd already called Tim. I said, Tim, uh, I've got something. And I told him the whole story about seeing the orders at my house. And then over Saint, they went to St. Paul's, and this happened to these people. He said, pick me up Saturday morning from the airport. So I went to Fable and picked him up Saturday morning. And we rode over. And that's the picture you saw of them walking across the field. Tim. Chase and Chris Jr. Okay, So we walked across that field and went into these woods and uh, what I noticed immediately was that the whole place had been timbered except that where the house sat. It was a grove of trees but behind it on behind it had been timbered out and mm-hmm. they went in through the swamps and the cypress pond and destroyed it and it was just a mess in there. And I got the impression that it was because of the destruction of that environment is the reason they were there who knows why but that's what i told jim he said you think they're still here i said yeah i think they're still here they haven't gone anywhere he said uh, what they decided to do was to recreate the ghost hunt that night they wanted us to go with them and do a ghost hunt so jim's like i'm going back to alabama so I took him 3 o'clock to the airport, and he flew back to Alabama, come in just for the day. And that night, I went back over there at 6 in the evening to do a ghost hunt with him. And so that evening, I show up, and I'm with the ghost hunting group, and there are eight of us. I'm the eighth person. So you got Chase and Pete and myself, and then five members from Wilmington, the ghost hunter crew, came. So we were going to recreate the whole thing. So eight of us, they finished the house thing, and then we walked across the field to the to the old farm tenant house. And here, if I can explain it to you, because I wrote about this in the book. When you walk in, the cabin is old and dilapidated, just a one-room, basically one-room cabin. <clears throat> It is um, 10 feet into the forest, in a real thick forest. So you can't see it unless you get right up to it. But once you get into the forest, there, um, there's this old cabin. When you walk out the back door, couldn't even go in the front. You had to go in and out the back door. The front was boarded up. But when you step off the steps of the back door of that cabin, you walk about six or eight feet is all. And then there's a ditch, a real big ditch. It's six Six foot deep. And it was dry. Trees growing up in the ditch. It's old. But the ditch goes all the way down the property. Right behind the cabin. Less than 10 feet from the back door. So they were telling us after we were recreating everything. We went through the the, the little house. And they had all their ghost hunting equipment inside. And they said, now we're going to go out the back take you the same way we went before. And Tim and I discussed... The possibility that these beings were still there I assume, I told him I thought they were and why they came and uh, he said well tonight to get in a little more depth um, he explained to me that the uh, that these beings can hear your thoughts and they can stay hidden from you by knowing what you're thinking so if you happen to see one by accident they can rewind your memory basically by a device that they have that i've seen the patents on it patents Yep. but if you were to sing this song not let them know what you're thinking might get a chance to see one that's what he told me i've held this i'm telling you this first time publicly about these little details so that night we walk out the back door with the ghost hunting crew and i'm in the back i'm in the eighth guy in the in the rear chase is in front of me so she's seven i'm eight but pete he, he navigates under the world with submarines, right? He, he's got a compass on his arm. And so Pete's got us in tow. And we got to go out of the back of that cabin and walk across a 100 yards is all of woods that's really thick in that spot. The rest of the forest to the right and left has been timber, but we got to walk through that clump of trees to get to a power line. One of these big high-tension power lines. You could see for a mile either direction, right? So it runs parallel with the, the cabin field. It's only 100 yards. You walk through, it takes 15 minutes to walk that section from the back of the cabin to the power line. It's important I say that. Because when we started through the woods, everything was fine. We were all perfect. Talking, carrying on, excited. Made our way to the power line. So when we get to it, we walk up and down the power line for an hour, and we were testing all these equipment. They had these ghost hunters, just recreating the whole thing. So when it was time to go back to the cabin, we had to go straight east, 15 minutes, and we would end up at the cabin. We went right back to the spot we went come out at, right? Where we exited onto the power line. We started back in right there. Pete's in tow with his watch navigating. So I'm behind them. I'm singing my song. Singing, singing, singing. And I noticed everybody got... Out loud or in your head? In my head. I noticed everybody got nervous. Kind of weirded out. And they're, you know, I saw what looked like they were drawing their guns again. Getting ready to. And what I've learned about this, that they can put fear in you. These beings can control what you think, so they can make you afraid, make you go a different direction if they don't want you here, right? They can put fear into you. I'm just repeating what I was told. We're starting in 15 minutes across, Pete's leading the way. I saw him get nervous, and that's when I started singing. Suddenly I saw this green orb, look like eyes, around the tree i tapped chase on the back and pointed at it she saw it immediately with me next thing i know pete is right at the ditch so when we walked through that ditch nobody else saw this just chasing us all right she remembers it but when we crossed that ditch we had 10 feet to walk i mean you could see it was from here to that wall it's the cabin right But when we got to the ditch and we walked in that ditch, when we come out the other side of the ditch, we step back out on the power line. And that freaked everyone out. It freaked Pete out. He's like, what just happened? He's a a submarine commander, navigates under the ocean. It blew him away what had just happened. I knew what had
0: happened. So you basically stepped out exactly where you started?
1: Yep. Yep, yeah, we pulled at east heading for 15 minutes we got to the ditch we walked in the ditch and out onto the power line and there's no ditch on the power line side so what happened they couldn't figure it out but i saw the being and i knew right then we were missing time what they did is they wiped our mind on the trip across so i didn't tell them that um Because once we got to the cabin again, we went back across, went in the dish and come back out the cabin. So we made two trips across that power line, from the power line to that building. So Monday comes along, Chase calls me. Chris, you'll never believe this. I said, yeah, I will. uh, Chase, we lost 15 minutes, didn't we? She said, no, we lost 12 minutes. And they recorded it. They had helmet cams on. They had all these stopwatches. And they know that we lost 12 minutes of time with that group of people that night. And Tim was there. Tim was there that day.
0: Oh, the day, that was the night after he left. Yeah.
1: And they'll tell the story, the same group of people. Chase tells it, She tells about missing time with me. That's not the only group that's done that. This happened with several.
0: Okay, so fast forward to when you were going through the security doors at Cape Canaveral at NASA right. there was a black a black glass building that you go that you pass
1: it was like a hut like a guard shack a guard shack right beside this fence you know you got mission control and a fence around it mm-hmm. you got fences within fences but right. when you get to the main building where the launch is going on right they had razor wire and a barbed wire fence mm-hmm. um, about 10 foot high all the way around that thing, with guards standing there with machine guns. And to go through that gate, you got to walk by this guard shack. And it's about eight by eight, black. The middle's black, and the windows are black. You can't see in it at all. But it was like, it was like when you walk by that building, they can read your thoughts. Never told me who they, or what they, or how they. He just said, They can read your thoughts, so just sing a song. And uh, that's why I first heard about it. This was before the ghost hunting trip. So I already knew about it. He just told me to do it again when I was on the... This was
0: before the ghost hunting trip? Yeah. What was in the building that could read your thoughts? I've had
1: that question ever since. I have no clue. This is the kind of way these guys will communicate. They give you a little bit, is it a lie? Are they throwing me off uh, on a wrong course? But uh, they didn't, uh, you know, it seemed pretty real what he was telling me.
0: So once you were, once you got into the building, the launch control center, where where Tim goes. Right. What what did he show you in there? The specific room. Was there? A, did he show you specifically where he is and and yeah. what he does and what he works on when he's there?
1: Yeah. So if you can imagine, uh, mission control is basically a square. It looks like a square. It looks like um, one of those construction site trailers you would bring on a job, but bigger. And it's square. And um, there's a hallway right down the middle, and glass on either side. So You got this hallway with glass, big mm-hmm. long hallway with glass. And if you look to the right, is NASA scientist controlling the launch. So you got all these 50 people or however many's in there, standing or sitting at each console, like you see on TV. Same thing. On the left side is an exact duplicate of the right. But the left side's all Air Force. So the Air Force is involved big time with NASA. That's part of the NRO thing, I think. Right. So there all these cadets, all these young soldiers are there learning to, to control launches. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet the general there. She came out in the hallway and spoke to me. And I was even told how to address her before I got to meet her, and, uh, which I did. And that was pretty cool, but there's a room that's a closed off room only Tim goes into
0: how big is the room
1: i don't I didn't get to go oh, into it, yeah. but I saw it where it was, and he explained to me that was his office and in that office, once the launch goes off, he has to stand in his control when that rocket leaves and everything looks good, he goes into that room and it's for his eyes only, and the other go- guys in the NRO that are involved in other ways. In other words, when that rocket leaves the ground, they have ground-based cameras that looks like giant binoculars that you sit in, and they can sort of swivel and film this rocket, right? Mm-hmm. But once it gets up so high, it gets gaseous, and they can't see the detail. Mm-hmm. And they want to know every angle of that thing. They want to see every bit they can see, in case something goes wrong, they know how to fix it, right? And um, it's how they found that O-ring that leaked and caused the explosion with the shuttle, remember when it blew up. They could see... Challenger. Yeah, they could see the the uh, fuel coming out where the O-ring was stretched. But when that rocket gets to 50,000 feet, they have... Um, What's called a WB-57, which is a really big, it's like an old U-2 spy plane, um, huge wings, and it just hovers up there about 50,000 feet, a group of guys, NRO, and they intercept the rocket. So when it's going up and starts going over, that, rock, that WB-57 is right behind it, filming it, because the ground-based cameras don't have clear now this airplane has it. When it gets on up there about a hundred thousand feet, they have uh, you could see the picture of the one hundred four starfighter. That's it right there. That thing can fly right on up to about a hundred thousand feet following that rocket. That can. And they chase it, keeping a film on it, a camera on it, the whole time. And the rocket's going so fast, it'll outrun it, right? And then it loses sight. And then comes the satellite cameras pick it up. And when Tim goes into that door, his eyes are on every stage of that camera as it's going up. And so he sees, if anything, from somewhere else up gets nosy and goes up and takes a look, or even shoots it down, because it's happened before.
0: It's got, sh- they've gotten shot down.
1: I've seen one.
0: You saw one get shot down? I saw the video. Sure did.
1: Is this one that we all know about? Some people do. You won't find it. It's been scrubbed, but. And what was it shot down by? The video I saw was, um you see I get a little nervous here it was a rocket this thing was going 15,000 miles an hour and when it arcs over and they don't go straight off they go up a ways and then they go over and they fly out gradually climbing up as they go around the world they don't leave it what I saw was when this rocket left over the Pacific Coast, I think it was launched out of Vandenberg and when it went up out of started over, all of a sudden, this little flying saucer appears, flies right up to it, intercepts it as it's going 15,000 miles an hour, flies around it, and a little white laser beam comes out and shoots it from every side. As it's going around it at 15,000 miles an hour, suddenly the whole rocket malfunctions, doesn't blow up, just quits and tumbles out to the sea. I saw that. What was on this rocket? That's what I asked him. He said, why do you think they did that? I said, do you have weapons on there? And he wouldn't answer that. He said, well, it might have been a mock warhead, but it wasn't light. Unmanned. Yeah. So I saw it with my own eye. That rocket, that one out of Vandenberg is known. It's known. There's people that have seen it before. I think I've heard
0: vague, yep. vague stories told about that before. Yep,
1: it's real. I've seen it.
0: Did you ever have you ever uh, heard or spoke to Gary about uh, this? The research he's been doing on and the brain scans he's been doing with people that have experienced the phenomenon, where he's noticed uh, a certain Part of the human brain, I think it's the caudate putamen or the in the basal ganglia, that is, uh, it's extremely dense with neurons.
1: It's different, yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm surprised he spoke about that because that's been kind of secret for a long time. Mm. That, um, yeah. Well, you know, they study my brain. They're going to start studying hers this year, Emily's.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: I'm allowed to talk about that? Well, I can't say no more, but we're just going to say, yeah.
0: Yeah. So so, what do they do? What, what's going on here in this photo?
1: That I write about in the last chapter of the book. That's uh, that's at the Monroe Institute. That whole deal was um, created basically around me. That whole week we were there. Yeah. Um, they wanted to get me up there and see if we could film the phenomenon. Mm. It's never been done, right? Nobody's never walked out and had it come, and and they film it like that. So if they get a video, it's by accident. But we were going to do it intentionally. And so they invited Emily and I and uh, and some other people, friends of ours, that, um, that came. And the rest of the group was, while they were dining or having fun i'm in the lab being wired up right the lab rat (laughs) yeah and so when we go out at night we had orbs appearing they'd never seen anything like it they filmed they got sensors sitting on tops of the mountains random generators and all and they were going off the orbs were up here and um there is an orb that we filmed A friend of ours named Rob Freeman, he came from Canada, he brought a $250,000 camera that he bought just to film the phenomenon. So it's all a big apparatus of cameras and spectrum and all kind of stuff. I couldn't even tell you. But it was a big setup. So um, he walks up to me and he says, Chris, he said, you know what, you've changed my life. He said, I want to apologize. So I stood up and I said, thank you, Rob, uh, don't worry, I I, I, I forgive you. So I reached out and I hugged him, and as soon as I hugged him, flash, somebody said, look, flash. So Rob runs back to his camera, locks it in on this object, turns it on, and for 45 minutes that object never moved, it sat there, flash, flash. The star field moved across the sky, but the the object never wiggled. So you can find that called the Monroe Flasher on YouTube, and that was from that night when Rob and I hugged, uh, and <laughs> we made a great bond. I mean, I'm gonna be with Rob again this November. Wow!
0: Yeah. The Monroe Flasher on YouTube. Can you you got Monroe? you got sure. Safari? Maybe we should look at it. Oh wow! This is like a some sort of like analysis video somebody made talking about it. Okay, now these are. So this is that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar camera that the yep. brought out
1: here. yep, see if it
0: flashes
1: there it is. You see it in one spot. you can enlarge the screen, you can see it better. Mm. It varied in intensity to how bright it flashed. See it
0: Wow, it's so tiny.
1: Well, it was way up there, right, but, but it got bigger. Brighter at times, a lot. About the
0: same distance as the one we saw last night. No, this no further up. Further, this is way up there.
1: But the thing is, the there was forty-five minutes of it, and there's parts of that is a whole lot brighter and bigger. Mm. But Mufon Canada, uh, which is where he's from, certified it true and all. So, but that was a the story there. That what we were doing was filming with scientists government scientists, a whole lot of them, uh, using sensors and all to record this for the first time.
0: Now, were they using some of the same technology that Andy was using during the filming of that show where they were kind of tracking it against the FAA and against satellites to make sure it wasn't planes or satellites?
1: I didn't see one of those. They may have had it because they had sensors on the mountains and so on. Right. uh, But,
0: yeah. Can you play that video from last night? It's on there. It's in there. It's... uh, there's like I think there's three videos, but there's What's two that? of them. That Is it are, in here? But yeah, it's in there.
1: It's the 50. Oh no, never
0: mind. Stephen has them. Okay. Steven? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Steven's has got them. Look at them queued up. So yeah, so we sat out there for maybe 30 minutes before before we saw anything, and then all of a sudden these things started appearing on the horizon, and there was a couple a couple things that happened over our head that looked like shooting stars.
1: Yeah. That's that's the orbs a lot of times because they'll they'll go straight up. Let's
0: see if we got audio going on here. All right, here
1: we go. What's cool is this uh, this there's the surf you can see. Yeah. Oh, it's the uh, the contrast is like
0: crazy. It's like darkened on the screen. Yeah. You can
1: see the horizon. Okay, there you
0: go. So so the planes were far above this. This was very, very low on the horizon, and you can see the planes that are, there Was
1: airplanes above it. Uh, find the one that's the longest one, the 52nd one. That one has it a two in it. There are two orbs in that right, one. Right, right. <clears throat> and the first one's right on the water. In fact, I don't doubt that it didn't come from the water. Because hmm. you know what's weird is you just had to ask me about that. Right before it, right about the water what yeah. did I think about the water, and then we get one right on top of the water
0: so that thing was right above the horizon, and it was getting really bright and then getting going invisible, going dim yep and airplanes don't do that
1: nope Nope. and
0: and you could we could t- we know that because there was literally airplanes coming in yep. for landing that would turn on their their bright headlights for right. th- their landing approach or whatever it's called
1: in that 50 second video you can actually see planes all around it flying right. up above it there's one there top right you see that little flash yep, that's yep. your airplane. that one was
0: flashing yeah let me see if i can get the the the, oh. the older one the the the, the bigger one yeah. working because that doesn't make sense why it wouldn't so what what is the connection do you think you talk a lot about in your book this sort of which which it got me wrapped up in this edward this ed casey thing um with the healing power what is the connection with this ability to heal how real is that and 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 was tim involved in any of that with some of the stuff that he was doing with the medical research and the medical patents
1: well yeah in a way um how that came about was in 2013 easter again One year later, remember 2012 on Easter, I had the lady experience, right? Mm -hmm. She came and told me about the Red Star or the Star of Regulus and um, um, granted me the ability to record this stuff. She did it. It came straight from her, 2012. Well, 2013, she comes back. This time, she takes me, these beings take me, Somehow I'm transported from my home up through the top of my house. I saw the rafters. I went and was pulled up into a ball of light. Next thing I know, we're uh, touching down from this orb and walk out of it into this desert environment look like Utah. I have been obsessed for five years with Utah, more than that, mm-hmm. now, my kids know this. Okay, so here's the video. You got it pulled up, Steve?
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't play on the computer, but it does play on Dropbox, so here, okay, here cool. we go. Okay, so you see, a, is that a, that's a plane that's on the top airplane, left. That's an airplane, two planes. Now There's, that thing comes right out of the water.
1: Yeah, right up out of the ocean. Those are planes around it. Now it's going to disappear... But if you'll look to the right of it here in a second, there's a second one right close to it that appears. There it comes. Now it's going to that appear. Thing goes
0: down, disappears, and then that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, what
1: that like? It gets real bright. <laughs> yep. Those are your orbs. And see these planes right above it? They can mm-hmm. see that. That's why they're so elusive. Uh, I mean, we there's three planes, four planes in the picture, and mm-hmm. then you got this one orb.
0: And then it I think it goes out again, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: It just disappeared.
0: But I don't know how you can explain that away with logic. <laughs>
1: you can't. You can't. And if you maybe tonight we go out sky watching again. Yeah. Maybe I'm just hoping something comes much closer. Like real close.
0: Well we were we were right on Indian Rocks Beach in front of a lot of really bright buildings and condos and there was lots of airplanes. So yeah.
1: We Feels. were on the main flight path. Right, thing. right. But um,
2: it's pretty amazing for that to show up with all of that around.
1: Yeah, I knew it was a hamper though because all these planes around. Now, what do
0: the like the most hardcore skeptics say about these things? Do they how, do they try? How do they try to explain these things?
1: Well, you know, uh, th- there are hardly no skeptics anymore. I don't really have that issue um, the, okay um, the main thing I hear now is this demon you're dealing with demons because they've already accepted the fact that there is something, There's something there
2: happening it was like satellites or at one point someone said swamp gas
1: <laughs> ball lightning ball, and yeah, all this like ball lightning stuff. yeah Right. But
2: now it's like, oh, there maybe is something happening, but it's evil.
1: Yeah, it's got to be evil. It's got to be a demon. Right? There are
0: videos on YouTube you can watch about ball lightning where people show these balls in their house, these light that explode. They show up and they float around and they explode away. But mm-hmm. in your situations, there was no thunderstorms. There was no lightning.
3: Mm-mm.
1: No, and, and this is every day. It's, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I record this stuff every single day i showed you my psionics out and there are 2700 videos in yeah. less than 24 months that's a lot and, and i could have taken twice that because half the time i don't even record we see we see 10 times more than i ever record because a lot of times it's so fast you can't get it on camera it'll come by you it'll appear 10 feet away and zoom right by your face Ooh, that quick happens with crowds of 20, 30, 70, 70 people have mm. had it appear around and 20 feet away.
2: And it happens at significant moments. So it's like, why would ball lightning respond to specific questions, thoughts, emotions?
1: Right. And, and yeah, so uh, is, this is a new day. The people now are knowing there's something there. And so the skeptics have mainly gone bye-bye, most of them. And and the ones that are skeptical more uh, would be the scientists, because they just the paradigm don't allow anything there. Right. In fact, I think between you and I, uh, one reason they don't that they've hid this so long and don't want to tell it because it's not the people that would melt down. It's not me and you. It's not Alice and the mobile home park down the street or the average person, they would say, oh boy, wonderful, and then tomorrow they're back grocery shopping. Yeah. But it's the scientific community, it's the academic world that has spent their life in college and teaching people about evolution and all these far old things that they're still teaching that so far, they got to the change everything. So half the community that's teaching this would be lost. Where do we go from here? You know, so i think the meltdown would be there more than the average people
0: another th- and another thing people say about this is that if this was to become accepted in within humanity right. it would destroy all religion but what you see now with like going back to even the vatican is that they are looking into astronomy. I mean, there, there's a there's an observatory at the Vatican, and and they're looking at the stars, and they're talking about the idea of extraterrestrial life. And you know, they even say like, if God could have created us, and it could create ants sure. and caterpillars, why couldn't it create other beings that are somewhere else in the galaxy that are even yeah. intelligent? Exactly. Right? You can't limit God's creative freedom, right? Um, and and you know the Vatican is kind of becoming you know the religion. It it is not counter it is not counter oh. to the idea of extraterrestrial life or another sort of multidimensional life form or being or entity that lives parallel to us. So when you think about that, I don't necessarily believe that it would have a negative effect on established religions today.
1: I think it will for the the strictest of people. You, know, you got religions that are pure cults that um you know only we're going to go to heaven. You know these baptists over there they can't make it or these these are them, you know they they're you know you believe like us or you're going to burn in hell. They don't even rationalize when it comes to this stuff. It's just straight by that book, and they'll be the ones that would have the most to deal with, I think, because Mm -hmm. they don't have room for any deviation of uh, possibilities other than what that book says. Mm -hmm. Example, in our area, North Carolina, in the mountains, um, you have these snake charmers, snake handlers, churches that, get together and they pull out rattlesnakes and they're sitting there dancing with rattlesnakes and about every year two or three of them fall over dead but they still believe because the book says if you believe in Jesus you can drink poison and you won't die or you can take up a serpent and he'll bite you and you won't die but yet they get several a year fall out dead because Mm -hmm. of it but they still go right back and do the same thing. And if you brought anything else into their belief spectrum, you're probably gonna melt their their brain. Mm-hmm. Didn't you also say that some like sometimes
0: beings come out of the orbs? Yeah.
1: I have a video of one coming out of an orb. Do we have that? I have it on my phone right here.
2: Um
1: I don't know how you're gonna I can download Is this it the same
2: video, Dad? This photo? No. That's not it?
1: Now, that's a pretty interesting photo, though, if you want to show that while I find this.
2: Well, I have this one that we showed them yesterday.
0: Oh, is this the one of the person walking through the woods?
2: It was very dark, but. Yeah. This person right here you can see is our friend Lori. Yeah. And um, uh, I wasn't there, but this was in a wooded area behind our old home, so it's a little shady here, but you can see the light daylight outside beyond the trees but this figure here was not anyone in our party um so whenever they looked at the photo later there was just this fully fledged figure standing in front of lori and also this peculiar Mm. flash of light appeared um right behind her
0: right
1: turn your airdrop on if you know how there and and i'm gonna send you what you're gonna see here This video she's getting now.
0: Okay, is this the video of the thing coming out of the orb?
1: No, she should be getting it now. Okay,
2: This video down?
1: Yeah, that one. Okay. Now, let me tell you before you start this what you're gonna see. Okay. I write about this in my book. There was a lady by the name of Sharon, very close to me and this family. Uh, We met her, I met her in a chapter in the book about how the, um, this Bible college tried to set me up, and mm-hmm. it backfired on them. The whole audience left with me and left them sitting. Uh, but one of the ladies there was sick, had kidney cancer, and her cancer, her she had one kidney already removed, and her second kidney was uh, already massized with cancer, and her chemo wasn't working. So she was looking at death. And I met her on a Saturday night. It's in the book. There's a lot about it. But um, Sunday morning um, or Monday morning, she went in for a scan, and it was gone. Her kidney cancer was gone, and um, she was healed from it. So a couple years later, she calls me. And we stayed in touch, but she had cancer. had come back in her lungs, and she had stage four lung cancer. And um, she called me, worried. She had to go in for a scan on Monday, this next Monday, and said, Can I come to your house? Can I come for prayer? I want you to help me. Because word had gotten around about this healing thing, which we bypassed earlier.
0: Oh, yeah, we need to go back. Yeah,
1: so... She shows up from two hours away on Friday evening with or Saturday evening with her about half a dozen friends. It was about five or six of them in total, all ladies. I had three Native American friends. We were born in I was born in Robinson County, which is uh, where the Tuscaroras are from North Carolina. It's the tribe is there, so wonderful people. I was raised with them all my life, and three of them actually called me and said, "Can we come by? We want to see the burning tree." I said, absolutely, perfect time to come because I have a lady that's sick and we can all say a prayer for her. So they show up at my house and uh, Sharon is standing on my left and her friend, one of them, standing on my right. We're, I'm right between these two ladies and everybody else is meandering around. There's about eight or ten people there, more. And you'll hear the natives standing at the burning tree singing, singing their whatever they're singing. So chant, and at 31 seconds in the video, you'll see an orb appear, six foot away, right in front of us, and it's rotating. They're always spinning, and it uh, comes right up to me, five or six foot from me, and then flashes. When they flash like that, is when these beings step out of these orbs. So the being comes out of the orb. And now the orb is inside the being. So you can see this translucent figure with the orb inside. So that's how they come. I've seen them many times do this. And it moves to my left, out of screen, right in front of Sharon. And on Monday morning, all her cancer was gone but one tiny little speck. And she's cancer free today.
0: How long after again?
1: How long after was it all gone? it was it was gone all these masses in her lungs were gone but one tiny little speck how many days later
2: the weekend that monday Monday morning wow
1: okay so you'll hear them singing here and then watch at 31 seconds um it'll flash but there's you have to stop it and play with it to see this six foot tall seven foot tall light being that comes out of that orb Okay. okay
2: i'll try my best
3: Can't hear it there
1: we go. right about here. I got one, finally. Now, slow it down and rewind. It, oh, you see the orb? That's the orb. All right. There's the being. Uh, during the, the flash? Yeah, that don't show it as good on this screen for some reason. Yeah, the screen it's very is very bright, bright right
2: on good. here, but...
1: Yeah, if you could look at that, you can see um, the full-blown being, legs, arms, and all. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I can turn it to you.
0: Yes,
1: if you can see how bright that orb is.
0: Yeah. So wait, where is the beam?
1: This is the beam. To the
0: left of the screen?
1: Mm-hmm. This is inside the beam now, this orb.
0: Can okay. you go frame by frame? If you hit the side arrows on the keyboard? Let's see. On the, on the bottom left of the keyboard itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go f- yeah you can go frame by frame there. Right, go right, back
1: so the I'm other back way to it appears. All right, come on back and you'll see the orb appear and approach us. Alright, now right here the orb appears.
2: I already backed up, so yeah. I'll back up again to before.
1: And it flashes. And so then we're
2: before now. Okay. okay. This is headed forward.
0: Okay, now we're going forwards. Orb appears. Flash. There's one flash. Yeah. It's like one frame. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Now it's going to away
0: so go back to that one that so during that one frame is when you're saying you see the being Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah yes, but right that there. frame right there is the being. and now the orb stays inside of the being, and you can see if you look at it on a, a good shot a good camera mm-hmm. or a computer you can see a translucent figure move and the <sighs> orb is with it
0: yeah right there we can only see like a sliver of something right mm-hmm.
1: But you can see the difference on this computer. Right,
0: yeah, you can.
1: Huh. But that, um, that was right. That was in 2014, I think. Remember, I couldn't share anything before 2012. Right. After 2012, I began to share it with everybody. But when 2013 comes along, the lady comes again and she takes me to some desert place, which I perceive as Utah. I'm pretty sure it is. I've been obsessed with it, and I think she's gonna come back, and I'll be able to film her there. That's bizarre. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty So, crazy.
0: Sharon, um, what did you make of her being healed of the cancer, literally two days later?
1: Um, that's why she came. That's why she came. Yeah, and um, see, let me say this. In 2013, when the lady came back, and I went about this, take me to Utah. When I saw her, Mm -hmm. she imparted another thing on me that I may have had it before, but I didn't realize it until two weeks later. This is how it arose. Uh, And this is what got NASA Tim involved with the health thing. Um, Easter... 2013, I had the experience with her again. May the 5th, I think, it was just a few days later, less than two weeks later, this investigator from Canada calls me and wants to come by and visit. He's on the way to Miami, and we live right along 95, so it was five minutes off 95 for him. He said, can I stop? I'm leaving Washington, going to Miami. I said, sure, stay at night if you want. So he did. And my Labrador... Nellie was um. this is Nellie she was walking along beside us we went out to the tree and he must have took 20 pictures of the tree and we talked for 15 20 minutes standing there Nellie was laying on the ground beside me we get back to the edge of the patio we walked all the way back it's about 75 yards out there so when we would get back to the patio my kids are on the patio hanging out, sitting around. Grant and I stopped right at the edge of the cement. Nellie stops and she's laying there beside me. She walked everywhere we went. She'd walk and stop and lay down. So I looked at Grant and I said, Grant, uh, kids are here. You want us to help you get your bags? You can go ahead and put them in the house and use the bathroom, whatever. He's like, yeah, why not? So he, he's between me and the house. I'm looking at him at the back door. He turns his back and he starts towards the door. Nellie stands up off the ground, and when she walked by him, I saw blood shoot out of her neck in a long stream, and it wet the whole side of his pants. Went right by Grant and wet his pants, and I had pictures of it. And she left a trail of blood going in and ran in the back door. Now, dogs will get in front of you and try to go in before you do. Well, that's what she did. Door was wide open. Blood spraying everywhere. And I freaked out, oh, my God, what's happening to my dog? And I ran in and I tackled her. She got five or six feet in the back door when I grabbed her. Blood all over the floor. And at a laminate floor, it's like slipping on grease. And I picked her up. And it was all I could do to get her up. because I was dealing with rheumatoid then, and it was just a struggle. I made it to the patio, and I laid her down. And I looked at her neck, and she had a hole. Maybe inch and a half, two inches long, a gash across her vein right there, and blood is just pouring out. So I laid my hand on her neck, and blood's pouring up through my fingers like this, and feel her heart beating. And she won't. She was just kind of squirming, but she won't fighting too hard. And I look up at them, and I realized that she was going to die. I I knew it, cause there wasn't calling no ambulance. There wasn't no time to get her to the doctor we live 20 miles or 20 minutes from anywhere and um everybody's freaked out grant's sitting there taking pictures he's recording this whole thing and i said what am i going to do and i looked up at the sky and i said lord what am i going to do she's going to die right here and as soon as i said that i felt this energy come through my hand and i felt her go completely limp and when I raised my hand, there was no more hole in her neck. Nothing. It was gone. Everybody witnessed it. and it Were you there?
2: I was not there. No. no. But all her brothers were there. It was a there. weird story to come home to, though. Yeah. I will say.
1: But um, there was a lot of witnesses to it. Grant, uh, and a UFO investigator from Canada, is one of the most famous out there. He's the one that saw it all. He took that picture. I didn't. And there are more pictures of it of the blood going in the house and all, and um, but we couldn't figure out what happened at all. How did she get the hole in her neck? What did that? Uh, what? I, I didn't know who to call, so I called Tim. I said, "Tim, the craziest thing just happened today. You won't believe this. That's uh, that's the same dog. It's so pixelated on that screen." Mm-hmm. But anyhow, he he told me. He said, "Chris." He said, maybe the phenomenon was showing you you have a gift that you need to try to do something with. And so that changed my life that year to, um, this was 2014, to uh, where it is today. That's what I do. I've done more um, trying to help people who are sick than I ever reveal or talk about It's every day of my life. I have people writing me, people who are sick, people I go and visit and try to help. And I've seen some miracles happen. Why me, I don't know. What caused it, I don't know. But it is, and it happened. And immediately Tim's like, you need to follow this. And that's what got me involved with him, with um, his encouragement to help get me to help others and working on his project he was working on for stem cells. And it just led from two, three weeks later, a month later, I get a call from the guy in that great big house you were wondering about Mm. and said, we have a child in Washington that's sick, and he's from a prominent family, and uh, we want you to see if you can help him. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is all new to me. I have no clue what has happened. How did this all happen? Why? You know, wh- what do I do? He said, well, you just need to come try. I'm like, well, it's Fourth of July. My family's coming home the weekend, all the kids. We're going to do something. And uh, he's like, what's more important? You know, hanging out and partying or helping some child that has is, is got to make a wish. He's going to die. He's not going to live past 12, 13 years old. And I said, well, you got me there. So, the next day, I was on an airplane to Washington, and I was sitting at that young boy in the bottom right there. To his left is Jim Simivan. This whole party, is uh, that was his bar mitzvah, it was... The heads of the CIA, the director. That's Ryan, That's my brother. Ryan, and this is Mike Morrell, the deputy director. This little boy is right in there, group of people. And so when I got to his house, um, I was terrified. I do not know what to do. I didn't know where to start. You know, I've been asked to do this. What the heck do I do? I don't even know how. I help the dog, much less to help a child or somebody sick. And uh, so I sat there with him and his mom and dad uh, for several hours just talking and feeling out the situation and silently praying, Lord, help me. You got me into this. How do I deal with this? What do I do? And this voice said, uh, not an audible voice, but just something spoke to me and said, just hug him. Just reach out and hug him. And so I, m- I waited till the perfect time to do so, and I reached out and I hugged him real good. And he couldn't eat. He couldn't eat. hadn't been able to eat most of his life at all. If he ate, he would throw up. He had this mitochondrial DNA disease, which rest- your put- your body just doesn't digest food and get the nourishments from it. So usually they don't live past 12, 13 years old. They're dead. And so he had to make a wish, and this group of people pulled around him.
2: And he's in college now. He's completely healed. He's fine.
1: Wow. Yeah.
3: Mhm.
1: And <laughs> it is a lot more to it. In that party, right there, you, know, you see all these people. There are hundreds in there, people, hundreds of uh, Washington washington dc the most prominent intel folks um judges doctors cardiologists his grandpa was their cardi- cardiologist and i'm sitting at a table um next to jim's table there's just these big round white tables with cloths with jewish flags and it was just a i never been to a bar mitzvah but um the table behind me I heard this ruckus and the band they were dancing just like that the whole crowd you know they knew how to party and they were having the best time I'm sitting watching my children have fun and uh, I heard this ruckus next thing I know um, Jim's wife Debbie grabs me said, picks me up basically and pulls me to this other table and says you got to help this guy and he was slumped over, face down. I mean, out cold, completely, uh, turned white. And they were trying to revive him, couldn't get him away. And uh, they drug me through the crowd, and I put my hands on his shoulders. The very instant I did, he stood, he sat up and took a big breath. And they looked at me and said, My God, you you saved him. That happened in that party. Wow! Yep, sure did. That's heavy. In front of these people, imagine. That's Washington. How do you? How
0: do you even deal with that? Like being you and that happening. Like how? How do you even
1: comprehend that? I don't. I don't.
0: That's amazing, man.
2: Dad's helped a lot of people. And he he doesn't always talk about it because he's afraid of sounding like, you know, that he does special things. He doesn't want the credit for it, but he really has put a lot of energy and a lot of effort into helping people. Um, not always in front of people either, you yeah. know, behind clo- closed doors. Right, Most so, of it's private. He's very... Emotional when it comes to that, understandably.
1: This little boy, he's in his 20s now. He's a junior in college. Wow. Yep. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know, Danny. I it's have always, no clue.
2: Sorry, Dad. It's always interesting when, when people ask us what our experiences you know, they expect us to say we see UFOs and aliens but it's so much more complicated than that and yeah. it comes down to this sort of thing as well. How do you explain that to someone in a ten minute, you know, conversation that it also is so spiritual and there's like a healing aspect to it. It's so multifaceted that I don't think people can really wrap their heads around it. But if like anyone could try to understand from a base perspective, it's just like that this is a benevolent spiritual experience that is open to everybody that for some reason we are, you know, I guess semi responsible for sharing and promoting to people.
0: Uh,
1: Is there
2: if it were evil, why would we be why would he be able to heal people, you know?
1: Yeah. But I don't see it as me doing it. It's it's the phenomenon, maybe whether you're
2: a vessel or whether you're doing it, it's like happening around us. Yeah. And so I'm not saying necessarily you have powers or anything, but there is evidence and facts that you, for some reason, are surrounded by healing. And if this were an evil sort of phenomenon, why would this
1: mm-hmm. Happen. yeah. be
2: happening?
0: It's, it's really hard to comprehend all of this. I it's mean, it's, it's so mind blowing. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's incredible um and there's there i know like we talked about this a little bit last night but um there's people who try to gain this or or tap into this phenomenon the same way you do right like i know tim there there's diana talked about in her new book how tim he has like a protocol that he tries to follow to try to like cleanse his spirit and and meditate and be in the sunlight to where he can sort of, people can can learn or train themselves to tap into, into something else that you are just intuitively, you're already hardwired into it yeah. in, in one way or another.
1: Well, that's what this, they're studying my brain for, right? They know it's connected. Um, on the History Channel thing, the scientist said he's can just you know, Buddhist monk studies 30 years of his life to get to this enlightened state and they said well he just goes in instantly just at my fingers and I'm there and I don't understand it I don't know that I'm even doing that I just I don't I don't understand but that's questions I don't know and right. I, I try to stay away from that I just have the I have a mission to share this in a the way it comes you know
0: well i can't wait to go out and watch the sky with you guys again tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll tell you that much yeah thank you so much for coming on here and sharing the story we just talked about it for like four hours i think <laughs> yeah um uh, i will link your book ufo of god below for people to check it out i highly recommend it one of the most gripping books i've ever read it's phenomenal I appreciate it um, thank you for writing it and uh, thanks again is there anything else that i should any anything else i should tell people about to get a hold of you guys or find you guys online
1: yeah you can find uh my website is ufo of god.com and there you can find a link to amazon to buy the book or you can go straight to amazon or wherever books are sold i guess um but um
2: you can find me on tiktok i post about this stuff my name is blood so baby because i'm the baby you know um, so I post stuff relevant to the story on there, and then I have a website um, called com where Perfect. I teach voice. But we do have one announcement before we go, and then we'll, uh, we're will we good.
1: So the the also on my website, you can find my Instagram where I post videos. There's okay. a few hundred videos of, or photos on there.
0: I'll make sure I link all of those below. Yeah,
1: and um, this... Uh, I think we can just go ahead and talk about this without getting into any details this book has been uh, is in the uh, is in the process of making a motion picture
0: oh wow yeah exciting yeah
2: this is our first we got the go-ahead to just say that much and that's all we're allowed to say Okay. This is is the first time publicly we're admitting that there is a motion picture. Teasing
0: me, I can't wait.
1: (laughs) It's under development right now. Okay. We'll have to keep me posted. Rumor is it might be three parts, three shows. Wow. Yeah. Exciting stuff. See where it goes. Well, cool.
0: I hope uh, I hope this helped get the word out. And uh, again, I can't thank you guys enough.
2: Thank you. Honestly,
0: I appreciate it. This is wonderful. All right. Goodbye, world. (laughs)